0: And welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. Just kind of a fun laid back episode. We've got some news uh, about the sort of state of movie theaters during the pandemic. Uh, multiple pieces of interesting Spider-Man news including a look at Spider-Man Remastered. Details on the new Minecraft or uh, uh, Smash Brothers character who is from Minecraft and And we've got a good batch of listener mail because it was kind of a down week. We didn't have time to sort of prepare a bigger topic this week. Um, So thank you guys for writing in. Uh, We always enjoy doing some listener mail. If you ever want to send that in unsolicited, you are welcome to tweet at me or email the show or whatever. Uh, Or tweet at Sean. He's on Twitter less, but you can do that too.
1: Yeah, I will definitely see it. I I check Twitter. I just rarely make tweets.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, and he has the, you know, he has the fun Hatsune Miku avatar, so it's unmissable when it's shown. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Sean, how've you been?
1: I've been pretty good. Um, it's it was a pretty slow. Like I feel like I'm getting into the habit of how the schedule is working. It's still hellish, but you're once you get, you can get used to hell. I guess you know you can get used to anything eventually. Um, although we that's do been the have... lesson of 2020. Yes, yeah, it has been the lesson of 2020 for sure. We do have parent-teacher conferences that are fully remote in two weeks, and oh, God. that is like utterly terrifying <laughs> to me to talk to a bunch of parents for the like people I don't know uh, over Zoom for the first time. That's just not a good way to talk to someone that you don't already have a rapport with. Uh, it sounds
0: it's... like they found a way to make parent-teacher conferences worse, which I didn't think were possible.
1: Yeah, no, I, so I'm not looking forward to that but i have i have played a new video game i have a thing that i can talk about for stuff and that i have played okay. uh genshin impact which is the new like open world breath of the wild rpg that is also a gotcha game um that is free to play out of china so i have stuff that i can talk about on the podcast for the first time in like a month <laughs>
0: Well, fun! I'm I'm excited to hear about that. I've played a new game too. It's called Hades, which is a big sensation right now. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I think I'm guessing we're both early into these games, but um, yeah, I
1: only started playing uh, last night, but it is yeah. cool. Yeah,
0: uh, neat. I've I've been curious about that. Um, yeah, so so that's the stuff going on. Um, you know, one thing I will say, Sean, about uh, Zoom parent-teacher conferences is if a te- kid. Is, does not want their parent to talk to their teacher, it is easier to sabotage this way because all you have to do is unplug the router. Mm-hmm. And your parents, they, they won't know. Just, you know, fog it. Although I yeah, guess the parents of yeah. the kids you teach are younger and, and know how the internet works, but it depends.
1: No. 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 I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> I think the thing you learn is that just people don't know how technology works, generally speaking. And I think it kind of has almost nothing to do with age. Um, that yeah. stereotype, I think, is has to slowly start moving out because uh, it is the people are only familiar with the technology that they use, and most people only use their smartphones. And so that's yeah, a good my, point. I've my my general experience has been young parents, old parents, teenagers, young teachers, old teachers. Most people just don't know what the fuck they're doing with technology, which sucks to be the person that does know what to do with technology when you're in the middle of all this shit. Because I'm like your one stop shop for any random tech bullshit you need help with i get a lot of that i'm getting a lot of that from all corners <laughs> right now on the job
0: i would hide it a little bit sean i would i would maybe pretend that you're not as good with technology as you are <laughs> it's
1: too late it's too late everyone yeah, cats knows out who of the the bag. that plays the video games and so they're like well that guy knows how to play video games so he has to know how the internet works
0: Yeah, you know, I guess that's true. Um, All right, so let's go ahead and move on. Let's do some stuff, Sean. And speaking of school, my one big, like nothing new is going on with like COVID stuff here. You know, we're kind of chugging along. We're at, I mean, something new is about to happen because we are, uh, we're above 2,000 cases in the student body. And Governor Kim Reynolds is about to order that all the bars can reopen. So, you know, it's a great time. We, We have slowed, we have slowed the caseload in part because the bars are closed <laughs> and it's about to be winter when people can't congregate outside. It's already like getting cold here. Like yesterday it was 60 degrees, you know, which mm-hmm. nice enough to go take a walk, but a little nippy, you know, um, and like, we're about to reopen the bars. So I am not going to be teaching in person for the rest of this semester. I will not be going on campus as long as bars are open because you cannot trust anyone. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. but I do have one story, Sean, which is it's been a while on the Weekly Stuff podcast since we got to do a segment where I talk about a movie I saw for film school that made me want to kill myself. Great. But do you want to do do a segment on that, Sean? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite <laughs> things. Just like even
1: outside of the podcast, just because it used because we didn't used to do it on the podcast. It used to just be you like venting about the bullshit you saw when we were in the condo together at Boulder. Um, yeah. So it's been a while since I heard you talk about a movie like the fucking and eating people movie. Um, that I, you know, I enjoy this. It gives me an insight into a world that I rarely uh, step into.
0: Yeah, this is in the Hall of Fame with the fucking and eating people movie of like movies that made me want to go back in time and kill Thomas Edison before he invented the movie camera.
1: Also, because yeah. he was a dick. So if you're gonna kill right. someone, might as well yeah. get, take out old old Tommy.
0: Well, and you could kill Thomas Edison like before he killed all those elephants in those experiments, and mm. and still the Lumiere brothers would have you covered. They would invent the the camera, and they killed no elephants, so exactly. you'd you'd be good. They just frightened some old people with a film of of a train coming towards the camera, which you know is funny. So that's fine. Um, okay, so I had to watch for my. Intro to film, so I am not in any classes right now. I'm at that point in my PhD where I am studying for exams and stuff, but I am not taking classes as a student, but I do still teach. It's part of my appointment. It's how I make the make, the, make the big, the big dollars that they pay mm-hmm. me um, is I is I, I TA, um, but I am TAing for someone I have not taught for before. Great guy. It's a fun class, but um, I'm just going to say his taste in film is a little different than mine. And he has a lot of stuff on the syllabus that I had not seen before. So one of the films was for this week on editing. We watched a 2008 movie by a director named Adam Agoyan called Adoration. And it's from 2008. It's very obscure. You probably haven't heard about it. But I'm going to try to tell you, Sean, what the plot of Adoration is. Because this has been a fun part of my week where I watched the movie. I hated it. I was later... um, Thomas, my brother, and I were playing Smash Bros. online. And we were talking and i i i said i hated this movie it's like well what was it about and i realized explaining what this movie is about makes me sound like a raving lunatic on the side of a street corner um and so i want to do that for you and the listeners here sean so this movie adoration starts there's this there's this kid i don't remember any of the names i'm going to be clear on that um I don't care enough so there's just going to be vague descriptions of these characters but there's this kid he's like 15 like it's like one of the students you teach Sean and he's in his French class and his French teacher sees him like writing an essay that we assume would be something to do with French but it's not and she is impressed by it and has him present like this monologue to the class And he is monologuing, not in French, it's in English. It's very unclear why he would be doing this in his French class. But he is telling basically his life story, uh, not his life story, but the life story of his mother and father who are dead. He is an orphan and he lives with his uncle. Um, But he's telling the story of like how, what happened with his mother and father and there was this big scandal and they're dead. And the story is about how the dad, who was a like Arabic Muslim, became a terrorist And convinced the mom when she was pregnant with the kid to go on a plane with a bomb. And then at some point the dad dies and the mom dies but the kid lives. So this is the story he's telling and it's like shocking to everyone. Because it's like oh my god there was this terrorist and a bomb almost went off on a plane and killed all these people. And he's telling this story. um, And like that's the framing device for the entire film. And there's like reenactments you know of like what he's talking about and stuff. But the story's not true. He's just making it up and bullshitting everyone. And to add to this, the French teacher knows it's not true. The French teacher is also the drama teacher, which I don't think that's a thing anywhere. But okay, the French teacher is also the drama teacher. Definitely
1: not a thing anywhere. You would not have a teacher who's both a foreign language teacher and um, a theater teacher. It's just not a thing.
0: Yeah, okay, so she's the French teacher and she's the drama teacher. The kid, the main character, is not in drama club, but he sometimes hangs out by the drama club, and she's trying to get him to do drama stuff, but he doesn't want to do drama stuff. So she convinces him to do this, like, acting exercise, but only in front of the French class, even though, again, he's not doing it in French. I can't stress that enough. She is just, like, wasting her entire class's time. But she convinces this kid to do this story where he is lying in front of his French class As like a drama exercise and already this is an idea for a movie Sean so bad that I don't think there's any version of this that works that is like such a like the kid is such a like cruel pathological liar at this point and like over the course of the movie his story like goes viral and he's on all these like it wouldn't be Zoom because this is 2008, but something like Zoom, Zoom calls, where he has all these, like, first it's friends, and then it's all these random people. And at first, like, his friends are mad that they never told him, like, told them his father was a terrorist. And then it's all these, like, random people who were, like, connected to the actual terrorist incident that he is claiming as his own. And, like, like being outraged by this on, like, the Zoom call, but, like, he's tricking all of them. They don't know it's real. And so, like, already, this is this is, like... Have you heard, Sean, about the movie um, The Book of Henry?
1: Yeah, I've heard of it, but I have not seen it.
0: Yeah, it's it's like one of the most famous bad movies of the last few years. It was the movie Colin Trevorrow made mm-hmm. after Jurassic World that was so bad, Kathleen Kennedy fired him from Star Wars. Um, but, like, if you, I, I've, I've seen a lot of good comments about The Book of Henry that, like, that movie, which is about a boy genius who plans to murder his neighbor, is such a bad idea for a movie. There just could not be a good version of that movie. And it's poorly made. And this movie, Adoration, is the same way. Like, that is such a bonkers, off-the-wall, stupid idea for a movie. I don't think there can be a good version of it. And I'm not even scratching the surface of the story here yet, Sean. Because, 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 as the movie goes along, we learn the actual story of the boy's mother and father, which is that they were a, a... The mother was a white, like, Christian woman, and the father was a, like, Arabic Muslim... And but he wasn't a terrorist; he was just a normal, nice guy, like most Muslims are. (laughs) And they get together, and but her dad was a bigot who hated Muslims, and this is like 2008, like Bush years stuff. Yeah. And so, like, so, like, what actually happened is that there was a significant strain on their relationship because the dad was a giant fucking bigot. And one night, they're over, like after the main character has been born, but is a baby, and he's with the uncle who winds up raising him later. Um, There's this like fight at the house where the dad is like really mad about his his daughter marrying a Muslim Even though it's like they've been married for years at this point I don't know why they're still like hanging out with the dad I feel like you would just cut that person out of your life But for some Mm -hmm. reason they're still doing it And so they go so then they like leave the house But the mother and father are like all distracted because of the bigotry And so they crash into a bus and die and that's what actually happened. And so the boy is like translating his pain through this story where he is lying and pretending his dad was a terrorist to like process this. But, but, but I'm not to the craziest part. The craziest part is that the French teacher, who is also the drama teacher, who is colluding with this kid to like lie to the world and also in several scenes of the movie dresses up in like a burqa and a like face mask like a muslim kind of like like traditional face garb and she will like go around the house where his uncle lives and for some reason just say a bunch of like not like violent or hateful but very bizarre anti-semitic things because the uncle is jewish and it's like trying to get a rise out of him also as a dramatic exercise we learn later that french teacher was also the boy's dad's ex-wife who the dad left for to marry the mother who Gave birth to the kid and that's why She is like stalking this family And getting engaged in their all their affairs
1: This is like the thing that With a lot of these movies that you end up telling me About is that they have like the most Soap opera ass Fucking plot under yes. everything But it sounds like my assumption Is the way that the movie Presents the story is not In that way right it's trying no. to be like This is so far above melodrama but when you break down what the story is doing
0: the plot is just
1: absolutely like victorian melodrama style bullshit
0: exactly and no it is it is it there is not a hint of humor in this movie it is taking itself as seriously as it is possible to take something but the acting is just terrible and amateurish like i some of the worst i've ever seen in a movie like like, kind of like The Room or something, but The Room is funny, but it's like th- th- they're acting like they're doing Shakespeare. The writing is just, just awful. It's like nothing, none of this sounds like something anyone would ever say in the English language. It is so poorly constructed as writing, and I think that's part of why the acting is so bad. I think the cinematography is, like, flat and looks like a porno. Um, the the editing is kind of interesting in that it's, like, mixing all these kind of timelines and stuff together, but... Um, Suffice it to say, I would not have chosen it to teach for editing, but like, yeah, it, uh, this was one of those movies, Sean, that is like nails on a fucking chalkboard. I barely could get through it. Um, You know, uh, it has these like racial themes and it's, it's sort of like about anti-Muslim bigotry, but it is in such a, like a lot of these movies I explained to you, Sean, in such a like hackneyed soap opera plot that is unaware of its own ludicrousness that there's nothing you can take seriously out of it. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it it boy, it's the last one that did this to me was I think a year or two ago. It was a French movie I talked about on here called Going Places. Mm-hmm. And that movie is on my my Mount Rushmore is like Going Places, the fucking and eating people movie. Probably this, and then I'd have to think of all the other bad ones I've seen. What else is on the the Mount Rushmore of um movies that make me want to go back in time and kill Thomas Edison? Um but yeah, it was god and i i do realize like the older i get the less tolerance i have for this bullshit even more than i did i feel like as an undergrad like and it depends like so some of the stuff i hated as an undergrad i've come to love but it also means the stuff i really hate i really well and truly like have no patience for Um, yeah i
1: mean well, once you've experienced enough of that kind of thing it's like you you know what you're in for right it's like you've seen enough of the like bullshit artsy like up its own ass doesn't really understand what it's doing kind of movies that yeah i can imagine you would at some point just not have much tolerance for it anymore
0: no because i think it's pretty easy to separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to movies that have something to say and say it interestingly and movies that think they have something to say but are really so far up their own ass they're coming out their own mouth so yeah Mm. um anyway that was my fun um yeah why why was he giving a speech in French class in English? This is this is the one that will like I don't know, Sean, if you were if you were walking around the halls of your school like you had a free period and you walked like let's say you had a buddy who was teaching French and you walked in and your buddy was just having kids give monologues in English in French class, you'd probably be a little weirded out. Like what? Why are you wasting everyone's time with this?
1: I would be a little bit confused um but I mean your description of the movie makes it sound like it is the worst teacher ever who is like secretly manipulating all this bullshit behind the scenes because she's in a love affair with her student's dad and it's yeah it sounds like this french teacher has a lot more problems than her you know uh, educa- educational practices that she's
0: using in the classroom that is very that is very true all right well let's go ahead and move on do you want to tell us about genshin impact i've been curious about this i, I haven't played it yet i think it's on ps4 right
1: Yeah, it's on everything. I'm pretty sure there's even a
0: mobile version of it,
1: although I have not downloaded that to see what it's like. Um, Yeah, so this is probably going to be a long way to... I think this game is going to be hard to explain, so you might want to buckle in for me to describe everything (laughs) going on around this game, because it's a lot. Um, So yeah, so Genshin Impact is a game um, developed in Japan by a studio who... It's the same studio that made Honkai Impact, which is a series of Um, mobile games that are pretty popular and well-received like mostly in the Asian market the studio is called miHoYo Um, and so it's a Chinese studio this is the first game they've made that has released on PC and consoles Uh, and it is a game that is heavily inspired by a lot of different things that it brings together to make something that so far I've played maybe four or five hours of it um, which does not feel like a lot in the scope of like what the game is doing um, so far it feels like what it is producing it feels fairly unique even though you can really clearly see the influences so the most major influence is uh, Breath of the Wild is very obvious the first way that people maybe have encountered this game is a couple of years ago when it was first announced um, it w- I mean it was announced I, I want to say like six months or something after Breath of the Wild came out sometime in that sort of time frame and it was very clear okay this is like they are just making a Breath of the Wild clone Uh, It has a similar sort of art style. Um, It's way more anime-y than Zelda, um, but it has a very similar color palette. So on first blush, it looks a lot like Zelda. I think once you play a bit more of it, you see that the aesthetic is more like a sword art online or some other kind of fairly generic modern anime fantasy thing they're doing. Um, But it certainly looks fairly like Breath of the Wild. Um, It has the, like, you-can-climb-on-everything kind of mechanic with the stamina bar and all that. It has a wind glider-type mechanic. Um, It has some of the similar physics sorts of things, although ultimately it executes it a very different way. But it has a, you know, like, when you set something on fire, all the grass lights on fire. It creates, like, updrafts so you can glide. Um, There's cooking, and the cooking is fairly similar. Uh, It just, on first blush, it has a lot of very clear clear similarities to breath of the wild ultimately the game i don't think is actually that similar to breath of the wild other than the some of that feeling of exploring around the world um like climbing on whatever you want seeing a chest off in the distance um it is very much a you go by sight lines in terms of how you navigate the open world of the game rather than placing waypoints in that kind of thing uh so it follows a little bit of breath of the wild's design in that respect some of the other influences on the game are Nier Automata. Uh, there's a very clear inspiration there in terms of how some of the combat feels and the, specifically some of the combat animations I think maybe are almost like ripped out of Nier Automata. There's some of them that specifically any of the animations of the game of your character going from an attack animation back to their neutral animation, that Nier Automata has some incredibly fluid and like unique animations for each attack going back to their neutral pose. Um, all of those are like feel almost identical in Genshin Impact. It is this is the whole thing where the weapon floats behind the character and when you attack it like summons into their hand. Um, and some of the floatiness of the dodge and stuff like that is clearly inspired by some of the combat stuff in your automata. Um and then the, the around all of that, the game is also a gotcha game, meaning that it is uh, you get a bunch of different kinds of currency, some of which, uh, if you want to pay money, you can buy a paid currency. Uh, then that is used to buy into basically a gacha or roulette-style system where you get a random assortment of different items and characters. So there are different unlockable characters in the game um, that you get through a gacha-style system. Which that is the thing that is the most interesting thing about Genshin Impact to me, is that it is... It is a gotcha game. Like it has all of the different trappings of like daily login bonuses and these different kinds of currency systems and the way that characters level up and you have these items that you feed them that level them up. And I assume uh, if you get duplication duplicates of the same character, you can fuse them together to unlock specific things. Every character has a bunch of different ways that they level up based on different materials you feed them or XP they get, or again if you combine them with different stuff, um, same way with how you level up weapons is a very gotcha style system and you like hit a certain limit and you're going to have to get specific materials to increase the level cap. Um, the characters are rated on a star system from 1 to 5. There's so much in the game of a gotcha style mechanics um, but I've never seen those style mechanics fused or like put onto a AAA open world RPG style game. It's always a... Turn based or like very light action kind of thing, like Dragon Ball Legends, which I've played a lot of, or Fate Grand Order, which is a gacha game I've played a little bit of, um, or like Grand Blue is another really popular gacha game out there. And so it has a lot of those kinds of mechanics in terms of leveling up characters. Um, but if you, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a game that has that stuff on the surface, which is interesting. So if you're someone who's never played a gacha game, I think uh, Genshin Impact would be an interesting game to play. If you don't have the context for a lot of the systems around it that have a long tradition in the mobile market, um, but have very little, like you just don't encounter it almost ever in like, like the console or PC game space. Uh, it's an interesting sort of way to get a different audience into those same kinds of hooks that you have in a gacha game. Uh, it is and i have been having a really good time with it so far uh it is fairly confusing at first because it throws a huge amount at you because gacha games are by their very nature very complex because there are a lot of different systems and currencies that exist there to create a grind because they obviously exist to keep you coming back for more and more and more to get people to spend money on them um and then this kind of open world triple a rpg style game also is very complex by its very nature so when you put both of those things together Um, It was a lot of confusing menus and not really knowing what to do. Um, And so for people playing the game for the first time, because again, it's free to play. So if you have a PS4 or a PC or a mobile device that would support it, like you can just play this game. I would highly recommend just going by the critical path for a while because I tried to go off the beaten path early on and got very confused. So just stick to the main quest line until you kind of get your bearings. Uh, But once I did... And I did my first, like, gacha pull, which you basically get enough currency early on, as is typical with these games, to get your first, like, roll of the roulette, basically. And I got a bunch of characters, and I had all my characters in my party. And once I had that, the, the game really opened up to me. And that what it is doing with having this kind of Breath of the Wild feel to a lot of it, but then putting a, an incredibly systems-heavy and very video gamey style thing onto it, like a gacha... It creates a Breath of the Wild that is way more of a video game-ass video game to me. um, Which is fun because it, it kind of fixes, for me personally, some of the stuff that I felt kind of lacking in Breath of the Wild. I'm getting more from Genshin Impact in terms of there's way more variety in terms of what you can do in combat. You can switch between your four characters more or less instantly. So you're basically juggling four characters that each have different abilities... Um, fast enough that their abilities effectively synergize just with you playing it um, on your own. You can play with other people like co-op but even on your own you can synergize abilities together through the elemental system. So you know how Breath of the Wild had its sort of elemental stuff where the elemental effects affected the environment like fire lighting stuff on fire or or ice freezing water, that kind of stuff. Genshin Impact has similar systems in it. But they're more, it's kind of combined some of that physical elemental stuff from Breath of the Wild with the kind of video gamey elemental stuff in a Bioshock or something like that, where you're combining elements together to get different effects. Um, and that has been some of the stuff that's been really fascinating is like switching to my character who is like a fire-based archer type character. Using her abilities to set like this whole area on fire, then switching to my main character who has his elemental abilities wind, and he creates this like vortex ball thing that he shoots at them. And if you combine fire and wind together, it just makes this huge kind of fire tornado that spreads the fire effect like really far um and does this massive AoE style attack or if they're enemies that are have like the wet status effect. So if they're standing in water, or it's raining, or you can do different things that like make them wet, if you hit the, those enemies with a lightning-style attack, they then take a like damage-over-time-style effect. And so you can see, as I started playing the game, I could see, oh, there's a lot of depth here in terms of switching between different characters, using different things in the environment, whether or not there's a torch over here that can naturally give a fire-style effect, or we're standing near a lake, that I can then freeze um, and that kind of stuff. Like it, it has a really rewarding system um, that I think gels and synergizes really well with the gotcha style, get different characters um, because each character feels fairly unique and plays um, well. And, and I already, again, I've only played for like five hours. So I'm at the very beginning of this stuff and only kind of starting to experiment with it. But playing it quite a bit this morning, I feel like the game opened up so much to me with me kind of seeing, oh, this is what this game is. Like just running around this big open world, finding different chests and things to do and their quests and stuff like that. Um, But just like, it's so much fun to just come upon a random group of enemies and see what elemental type the enemies are, what environment they're in and switch between my different characters and juggle all their abilities and just create giant fire tornadoes and explosions of lightning and everything's like fucking freezing over here. Um, and things are getting like knocked away in the wind over here. The elemental system is incredibly fun. Um, and I've been having a really great time experimenting with the combat uh, in a way that I was very surprised by. I don't know. It, it feels like it has quite a bit of depth to it as well as having the exploration focused open world type stuff that a breath of the wild has.
0: That's all really interesting. I mean, I've been curious about this game and thinking about playing it. Um, And now that I've heard you talk about it, I might uh, do that. Um, I just looked it up, by the way, and it is on Windows and PS4 and then iOS and Android. So it's not on Xbox or Switch right now, although they are working on a Switch version apparently. Um, But I just downloaded the installer on my PC here so I can maybe take a look at it later. Because that does sound interesting I mean it is like I'll say you put it together more smoothly for me Sean than I'd read a couple of articles and could not come away with like what is this because I would read the articles and see the pictures I'm like so it's Breath of the Wild with gotcha I don't even know what that means so thank you for like going in depth because I do understand that more and it sounds like something worth trying and I didn't know it had co-op that sounds fun too. Um, Because this sounds like something like my brother would enjoy And we've been looking for something to play together So that sounds interesting
1: It also it does have um, multiple different language options And I did play it for a little bit in Chinese I ultimately switched it You can switch it to the Japanese language option And I did that because the game is um, It is so anime Like it is very specifically pulling (laughs) from like the last five to six years of fantasy anime that's spe- like specifically is what is called the isekai genre or like the parallel world genre which is popularized by sword art online um like it is that kind of like there's there is a lot of like fantasy style lore but as is typical with a lot of like modern anime fantasy the lore feels fairly like it is there um and, it, and there probably is a lot of depth there if you, like, really want to look at it, but it mostly feels like it's there for characters to be able to say stuff that sounds very cool and, like, epic in this high fantasy way without actually, like, diving into it. Um, so if you're someone who – because I didn't particularly take to the English voice acting, so if you're someone that does not um, like that style of English voice acting that's very anime dub style English voice acting – you can switch it to either Chinese or Japanese. The Japanese voice cast is very good. They've got a bunch of like kind of big name uh, voice actors. Yeah, it looks in there. like they
0: had some stars in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they. I think they want this to be big in Japan too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's because I mean, for fuck's sake, their like company logo has like the word otaku like is just written under the logo for miHoYo. Um, so it's That's very funny. clear the influences. While it is a Chinese game, it is clear that these people are some anime fucking nerds. Um, tech otaku save the world. that is the phrase that exists underneath the logo for the development studio Mihoya. So uh, they are some anime fuckers so if you like anime, uh, this game has a lot of anime in it for sure. Uh, it also does it does have I think generally the story and dialogue translation stuff is pretty well done. Um, I think some of the English language translation stuff is maybe a little bit too like cutesy in terms of all the elemental stuff has like a special name so instead of it being fire it's pyro instead of it being water it's aqua earth is geo and that is generally fine uh wind magic is called like anemo or something that i'm like this is just a bullshit name you're just kind of making up i wish it was just called what it was which is in japanese that's just called it's fire magic and it's wind magic and they don't have kind of fancy names for it one area of the translation that is very weird Um, And I think this extends with a lot of like the menu stuff is the menus are, are, I think, overly complicated. They have a lot of stuff they stuff into the menu, so it's going to be complicated no matter what. Um, It's a very kind of weird menu system, but also the translations in the menus feel weird. Specifically, when I went in to switch my y-axis to inverted, I went and I switched invert y-axis option from close and I switched it to open. So instead of it being on and off, it's open and close. I have no idea how that got in there. That is such a bizarre label. Label I've never seen in a menu before to say that. Oh, I want this option in the menu to be open as opposed to to closed. Uh, I want my <laughs> invert Y axis opened up. Um, I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. It feels weird. Um, I don't know. Again, the translation of the rest of the game mostly feels really good. Uh, I just found it very funny that, that that somehow got in there and they didn't make it on off like every other video game
0: yeah interesting that that sounds funny and you've seen all the invert menus because you're someone who does that on all the games so yes, yes. but that um, is true
1: of all the menu options anything that would be on or off is called open or close so in there that. knowing that open means on and close means off
0: well yeah you, you open the option and you take the option out and you close the option you put it back in the box there exactly. it's it's a very visual yeah. thing now, that sounds interesting uh should i talk about the game i've been playing yeah
1: what have you been playing jonathan
0: So I am also early in this game. I've played maybe five hours um, and it's a big game, but I am head over heels in love with it. And this is Hades, which is the new game from Supergiant. Supergiant made Bastion, Transistor, Pyre. um, I think like all other games have been major critical darlings, I think we could say. And Hades has been in early access since late 2018 but it came out as like a full finished game this week um it released the full 1.0 version on pc and then also on nintendo switch i think it's coming to other stuff i don't think it's on everything else yet no Um, it's not no yeah um but you can at least play it on switch or pc and i would imagine it's a game that most pcs could run if you don't have a switch um but it is a phenomenal game like a lot of the game critics i follow um like patrick klepek at vice jason schreier um, all pretty much everyone, like anyone who writes yeah. about games, has been talking about Hades. And so I had actually bought it a couple weeks ago when it came out on Switch because it was on sale for, I think it's usually a $25 game and they had it for $20. Um, so I picked it up when it came out and then I was waiting to kind of wind down my Mario adventures and I finished Mario Galaxy this week in the 3D collection. So I decided to start Hades last night. And uh, Hades is incredible. It is also complicated to explain but I will say it is one of the best, like, paramount examples of unraveling a complex system for you in a way that feels very engaging and inviting. Like, there's no point where I feel overwhelmed or confused by what to do in Hades. But just explaining it is a little hard because it has no easy, um, like, there's no clear genre signifier for it. It is in some ways a roguelike like. But it is very important to note that, like, that is as close as you can kind of get to a genre definition, but it's not exactly that. Um, But the the way Hades... So Hades is set, as the title implies, in the, you know, Greek pantheon, and you are playing as Zagreus, the son of Hades. And Zagreus is, is in hell, he's in the underworld with Hades, and the game starts, Zagreus wants to get out, and he wants to get to Mount Olympus and join the gods. And so you start with your first kind of roguelike run where where Zagreus is trying to get out and it is roguelike in the basic structure of it is a series of chambers you move through, isometric perspective, also kind of very Diablo-esque in its perspective and then like, you know, your buttons have different, um, moves that are assigned to them and you have different weapons that do different things but the buttons kind of have a, a similar thing they do every time. Um, but you're going through these chambers. You usually have a couple of options from chamber to chamber. The, the, the order of chambers and then the inside of the chambers is always randomly generated. Um, so So it's roguelike in that sense and you are trying to get through up to Mount Olympus. And when you die the first time you wind up Back at the start of the underworld uh, in the house of Hades, you basically always when you die, you dissolve in a pool of blood and then you come out of like the river Styx and come back into the house of Hades and um, and you start to see the story piece together that Zagreus and Hades have had kind of a falling out over the years. I don't exactly want to spoil where it's going, but Zagreus starts learning more about his own... P- well, you find out in flashbacks as you play the game that Zagreus has learned more about his his parentage, and that's why he wants to get out of the underworld, um, but you also meet all of the characters around there, and you start to explore the House of Hades, and it is like this regular area that grows as you play the game, and you meet different characters <clears throat> like Hypnos, the god of sleep... Um, You have um, Achilles is there and I really love the uh, logic for Achilles being in the underworld which is that he was sent to Elysium but he felt very bored there because he could not fight so he is in the underworld now and he's the guy who like has given you all your weapons because he's Achilles. Um, Nyx is there and Nyx is apparently your mother but there is more to it than that. Um, So you have all these characters in the house of Hades. Um, You have your own like room you can explore. But the basic thing is you keep going into the dungeon to try to get out of the underworld. And every time you play as you're going through the roguelike areas, um, the story is continuous. The story keeps going on and it is very built to like obviously you're not going to finish the run on your first or 10th or 20th time. It's something that builds up and you go in and you get as far as you can and you will eventually die, but you will have gotten a bunch of important things. So there's different like um, currencies, I guess you would say, like you collect these keys, these chthonic keys. I learned the word. I, I am not like a huge expert on the Greek pantheon. I know kind of the basics. But I learned the word for the gods of the underworld is the chthonic gods. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, you get the chthonic keys and those like unlock your different weapons and stuff. You get these jewels that like give you um, your kind of stat boosts and your basic like leveling stuff. Um, But one of the things I really love about the roguelike side of the game is that like there's a bunch of ways where every run you do is super different and it's not just the randomization of like the rooms and their order it's also one of the big things that happens is that you meet the different olympic gods as you're going through because they send messages down to the underworld to try to help zagreus and so you meet like zeus aphrodite poseidon all of the big ones um artemis hermes all of these guys And they all have different boons they give you which are different like significant and like game changing powers to your different basic moves. Um, Like one of the ones I got earlier today that like completely changed how I played the game for that run was that anytime you took damage if you pressed the dodge button where it's just like this this dodge um, boost you do away. I shouldn't even say dodge it's like a boost run you do to the side um, you would get back half of the damage you lost. Mm -hmm. And so that is not a regular power you have. But if you get it, and I, oh, I forget which god gives you that one, uh, but if you get this this power, obviously it's going to like completely change the way you play the game for that run, and there's a lot of these in the game, and you get more of these boons as you go through. So the roguelike side of it is impeccable and so fun to play, but what really does set it apart is the setting and the art and the way it uses the Greek pantheon and how it is an ongoing, continuous story through the different runs. Like... I I don't really know what game I would compare it to. The closest thing I can think of is something like a Dark Souls where like death is just the point of it and you will die and go back and that is a continuous part of the world and people will comment on your death and like... Every time you come back to the House of Hades, Hypnos is there to greet you and he uh, will like comment on what killed you and you will have a conversation about it. Um, And over time, like you create relationships. There's almost like a persona-esque like leveling tree with all the characters that like you level up your affection for them and they reveal more about themselves to you. Uh, So, you know, Achilles is my buddy and I'm learning more about Achilles um, and things like that. And it is this story about this, you know, this guy, Zagreus, who is trying to get out of Hades. It is a Sisyphean task, which they bring to attention because Sisyphus is also someone you meet and get stuff from in the game. And it is a game about, like, learning, it is about failure through the act of, like, dying in a video game and respawning. And it does it as well or better than any game I've ever seen um and i am still like at the tip of the iceberg of it i have gotten i think there are like seven areas in the main dungeon to like actually clear a full run um and i'm i've gotten through a couple times the first one of those tartarus and then i get through this to the second area and i forget what it's called but it's like the lake of fire area so there's a bunch of magma that can kill you there um But it is fascinating, it is gorgeous, the art in this game is incredible, the like portraits of all the gods and the characters you meet are so fucking cool, I I desperately want the art book for Hades, they need to put that out, um, because the drawings are just incredible, Um, all the environments you see are incredible, it is like ludicrously fun, and um addictive to play because it's always that like one more run thing um and it also feels like it deeply rewards your time because i have not yet done a run where i did not feel i made some kind of significant progress There, like even if i didn't get as far i got the time before you're able to like collect stuff that back in the house of hades will allow you to unlock things to make more progress the next time or just understand the systems better it is such a cool game it is something I cannot wait to play more of. I know it's it, It's already infamous for like being something that people have played for dozens of hours and are still discovering things in, and I believe it. It feels like from the very beginning that this is a big game with a lot to uncover, but it is not overwhelming in how it presents that to you, um, and it is just so engaging. So this is, this is one of the games of the year, probably, and, and I'm excited to see more of it because uh, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, I really want to check it out at some point um, because it seems like I cuz I've like I mean I've played a little bit of every Supergiant game because most of them ended up on PS Plus. And I played Bastion back in the day and none of their games really clicked for me ever and it's because I feel like they had always really great like mood and the story stuff was good and the music was great, but I never particularly liked the way their games played. It seems like Hades is finally they like nailed that. Like they they found um they figured out like the game feel for that kind of like isometric action type game which is what bastion was bastion always felt incredibly slow to me um and hades just looks like hades looks really good and i have not played a roguelike in a couple of years at this point it's been a while since i dabbled in that genre so i'll probably check it out eventually
0: you should and i th- yeah it plays incredibly i have not played super Giants, other games so i can't compare it to that But um, it is incredibly fun to play and just to to experiment with all the moves and, like, the things you get. It is really engaging. And I would say if you're someone who's kind of scared off by the term roguelike, don't worry about that. That's not exactly what this game is. Um, It is much more of a, you know, forward-moving narrative experience than I think people tend to associate with that genre Um, even if it does have this mechanic of trying to get further and dying and going back in, it is also, it is a challenging and difficult game that I would not call punishing. Um, uh, Because you have, it is something that it wants you to get better and make that progress. And it's a little different than like a Dark Souls, the main way you make that progress is getting better at it. There's a big component of that in Hades, but it's also like getting the stuff and, and finding the ways things work together um it's a little more rpg-ish in that way so yeah um it's it's incredible i, I the, the whole time i've been playing it i'm like sean would fucking love this just the greek god stuff all, on its own mm-hmm. i know how much you like that it does it so well uh, the game is fully voice acted and the voice acting is incredible it's so good i love it the way they depict hades himself is great it i have to imagine was influenced by dragon ball z and and Medio because he is a big giant dude sitting at a desk with a bunch of paperwork and a line of spirits in front of him and it's like it's like this very bureaucratic version of hades um and i really like that
1: awesome it sounds great yeah
0: and the three-headed dog cerberus is there and you can pet him whenever you want cerberus is a good boy yes he is yes all right so those are some games sean you want to do some news What's going on in the news, Jonathan? Well, we're going to start with a piece about sort of the state of movie theaters. Um, And we did get a listener mail question about that, so I've kind of put it here because we're going to talk about it here. Uh, Barry asked us, I'm interested in your take on the outlook for movie theater chains and the big tentpole model. We're probably in for another year of this, and I wonder if in 2022 there will be theater chains and another crop of blockbusters, or if we'll finally see a shift to cheaper films. So a lot of stuff going on there before we kind of address the meat of the question I want to kind of go over some context why we're talking about that this week because this week the new James Bond film no time to die was pushed back once again to April 2021 this is significant because this was the first 2020 film that moved off its original date because of the pandemic it was supposed to come out April of this year. And in March 2020, when, like, everything shut down, they moved it to November. And then a lot of movies followed after that. But for No Time to Die, it was actually one of the more drastic pushes. A lot of movies were moving to, like, July and August. And No Time to Die said, nope, November. Uh, And partially because that's when James Bond movies usually come out. Um, And I think a lot of people assumed, and I remember feeling like this, like, well, November's a long ways off. We're going to be over this by November, right? No. No. Um, so they've moved it again, they've moved it to April, and this has kind of sent shockwaves, um, the big one is that because of this, um, this is from Variety, Variety reported that Cineworld, which is this big UK film chain that owns Regal Cinema here in the US, they are shuttering all of their theaters in the US, the UK, and Ireland, and that means all the Regal Cinemas will be shutting down this week, um, Hopefully the theaters will reopen. They're not like giving up the spaces, but they are shutting down for the foreseeable future. They've not announced a timeframe to come back. I think they're basically saying 2021. um, You know, obviously No Time to Die was going to be big in the US, but even bigger in the UK and Ireland. And so I think for it being a UK chain, this was sort of like the final nail in the coffin of like, no nothing's happening in 2021 or 2020 um the rest of the big releases for this year are basically in december i think the only other big one between now and december is the pixar movie soul is still scheduled for thanksgiving but then everything else has been pushed to like the last week of the year so like wonder woman dune um the new poirot movie um um the murder on the orient express sequel i forget what it's called um that's on the all of is these... that the one they're doing Death on the Nile is the one they're doing. That is correct. Um, but all of those have been pushed to like the last week of December before Christmas. Um, we'll see. Probably not. Um, and and everyone's kind of putting their chips on maybe summer and late spring 2021 we can do this. We'll see. Um, you know, I think it's also notable that uh, the, the two movies launched in September. Tenet came out in theaters and Mulan came out on Disney+. Plus. Tenet completely bombed, um, and while we do not have major numbers on Mulan, it's clear it didn't do well. Disney has not been hyping it. Um, they have there's been very little chatter about it, other than the controversy over its China stuff on social media. Uh, it was not received well. Um, Disney is not doing any other releases like it. So I think the question right now is, and this leads into Barry's question: Is there even a way? to release successfully a giant 200 million tentpole in the midst of a pandemic. Does the business model just fundamentally not work without a global theater network? I would say the answer is obviously yes. At this Mm -hmm. point, um, these films are budgeted to be making a billion dollars. Um, you cannot do that at home. You cannot do that with half of the theaters shut down. You can't frankly do that with theaters where they are doing social distancing and closing every other row and only selling half capacity. Um, it's just not gonna work and clearly I think studios are kind of hurting around the idea of just delaying until they can actually do it safely but at this point who the hell knows and the big question is are the chains still gonna be around when they come back
1: yeah like that's the thing that I just have no I just I can't even like understand I think it's like such a huge problem like what happens like how did you like you can't just shut the like the sites down for a year and like you know let go all of your staff and be like well there's no anything here and just say like we'll just hold on to this property for now and but like can you just do that for a year or two years and then eventually be like okay now movies can happen again let's go in and fix it back up and rehire all of our staff and like because you're basically reopening a whole movie theater, like a whole fucking building after it's been out of use for a year plus. Like that has to be pretty expensive. Like I just don't know what are like the full scale of the consequences uh, for the like physical buildings and like the people that run them. If you're pushing that off again and again and again and again, like eventually you can't just keep on jerking those people around and say, oh, we'll do it next month. And the next month they can't and they say, oh, we'll do it next month. And the next month you can't. Um, eventually it just like you got to do something
0: yeah I don't know I really I don't think there is a good answer. I mean the, the answer would be and this is true of a lot of industries right now if we had in the United States a functioning government uh-huh. is you would pass the like this is like with bars and restaurants people have done the research to know how much money it would cost to just pay bars and restaurants to stay closed and by paying them to stay closed I mean pay their rent And pay their employees just the basic operate not they're gonna make a profit but just make the basic operating costs back right Mm -hmm. and it's 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 not a ton of money it's a ton of money like for you and me it's not for the US government it's you know a couple hundred billion which we can do we can do that and it is cheaper in the long run to do that and keep people employed and all of this stuff right Than it would be to figure it out later right and you can do that with theaters too. You could just do the theater bailout package because this is not theaters' fault. They did not. Sh- they didn't do anything wrong here. necessarily. I mean, I think the reopening in August, but you know, everyone was doing that. And you can just pay them to stay shut and people will be safe and healthy and there will be stability and when the industry comes back, it can actually be an economic boon instead of a bunch of companies trying to claw their way out of years of losses, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that would be the answer. But that's not going to happen. It might happen in the new year if we have like a Biden presidency and a Democratic Senate and like they're doing rescue packages. We'll see. It's not going to happen now. Um and it's a big question. I mean, Regal Cinema shutting down completely again, that's the big one. The two theaters near our house, Sean in Golden, that's Regal. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's AMC is the other biggest one in the U.S. Um, you know, it declared bankruptcy earlier this year. It is still in business um, because U.S. laws on bankruptcy are weird. But, like, they're facing huge losses. Um uh, you know and those are the chains then you get to the independent theaters, some of which i think are holding up okay because they are not if you're it's almost like weird it's like if you're a non-profit and you're you're not a corporation and you just like kind of need to keep the space there are things you can do for that um and some theaters are doing better than others with that but it's bad for everyone i don't know how these giant theater chains that rely on a steady stream of predictable income which movie business is um to go months and months and now god knows when because there just is no there's no way to reopen theaters that is both safe and profitable that's the problem mm-hmm. i think you can maybe do it safely but you can't do it profitably if you're selling like a third of the seats in the theater you know for a big movie so this just is is bad you know it, now it feels like april is the next kind of line in the sand because of no time to die moving there by April maybe maybe but I don't know um, that's a big maybe and and it's just it, it, that's why we would need like a good bailout package for theaters because it's going to be a lot of guesswork and possibly another like I don't know if the theater industry can survive another false opening and closing which is what we're in the middle of now where they opened and are having to shut back down because that's bad that's that's so costly
1: yeah, and it I'm I wonder if this is going to further push uh, studios towards like what Marvel is doing with the Disney Plus stuff of doing miniseries and something like that. They like you know the hundred million dollar or whatever, like the movie that needs to sell a billion dollars uh, in order to make its money back. Like that's something that obviously is not feasible. Who knows if like regardless of COVID, who knows how long that would have been feasible for? Anyways. Um, Because at some point, like, you grow so much, you just self-destruct. Hello, video game industry. Uh, But, you know, that's sort of where things were starting to feel like they were heading was it is, you know, you're taking way less risk. You know, the bomb of your, like, Disney Plus miniseries, if that, like, doesn't drive a lot of, like, movement towards subscriptions or keep people on the surface, whatever it is, if, like, people don't like it, it's not good. That is not as significant as... If you release your huge fucking tentpole blockbuster movie, um, like a Justice League or something like that, and it just bombs at the box office, that's a huge hit you take, right? Um, and I, I, I suspect that that's like where these things are going to move. I don't know what that for, like theater chains. That doesn't fix their problem. Um, I, well, like there's nothing you can do with a theater chain. Um, but I, I think don't that's know where though. Studios would move.
0: I don't know, though, because the only reason the Marvel Disney Plus thing can work is because they've had 10 years of billion-dollar movies to build off of. Like, Mm. WandaVision looks really cool. WandaVision, A, would not be made, and B, would not be hyped if you did not have a bunch of movies with Wanda and Vision as characters people wanted to see more of. So, like... That's but but like WB is playing around in the same space Sean uh, WB is making a miniseries off of the new Matt Reeves Batman movie about the Gotham City PD and James Gunn it was announced a couple weeks ago is doing a series about I forget who the character is but the character John Cena is playing in Suicide Squad um, James Gunn is writing a mini series about him he's not going to direct it but he's doing the writing on it um, and those will both be for HBO Max. So maybe but like those are also very expensive as you say like the downside isn't as much but you have to have like the platform built out. I wonder I mean part of this is when theaters can safely reopen the studios are going to have a ridiculous amount of inventory because we're going to have all the 2020 movies plus a bunch of movies that are in production now like the Batman and things like that you know Mm -hmm. so like if the vaccine came out in january and and we're rolling out and theaters could safely reopen in april you could have a like historically profitable time for movies if it was safe but that just feels like a very accelerated timeline um yeah, yeah. I and also, i and i
1: i also wonder like what the impact is so because this is like me thinking about my relationship to movie theaters that obviously like i didn't go to a lot of movies a year i went to a few like only like the really big ones that i was interested in And always, like, sort of begrudgingly, because movie theater experiences, unless you specifically go out of your way to go to a nice movie theater, you're going to get a bad movie theater experience. Um, So I tended not to go to a lot of movie theaters, and there's something about this of me realizing, you know, it's been, I think, maybe a full year since I saw a movie in the movie theater. I don't even know what the the last one is, probably Spider-Man. When did Spider-Man Far From Home come out?
0: No, you Um, would have seen Star Wars Rise of Skywalker in December.
1: So that would have been the. So I'm coming up on a year since I saw a movie in the movie theater, and I'm kind of fine with it. Like, I just feel like of, of the things that I feel like I miss, or I feel like me personally, my life gets an impact from because of the pandemic and, and where I'm restricted. Movie theater stuff is just something that, like, I've not really thought about. Like, oh, I. Because I do like going and seeing new movies in the movie theater. I like seeing new movies in general, but. I don't have this urge. Like, I don't know. There's something of like not having going such a long time without going to the movie theater. I'm curious to know, like, see if other people will feel that as well of like, at some point you're like, you know what? I'm good. Like I found all these other things that fill my time. I don't need to go spend the like the ridiculous fucking ticket prices. It costs to go to a movie, the movie theater. Um, when there's all this other like entertainment I have at my fingertips at some point, I wonder like, like, what does it look like as movies try to roll out again, even if it's safe to go to the movie theaters, is the same number of people going to be going to movies as there were before this all happened?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I, I think my opinion is, I think people like me who love movie theaters and miss them will go back when it's safe. And I think people like you and, and your, your like model where you go for like the big stuff you're interested in but don't go a lot is a lot of people. And it's a growing number of people, but those movies will be back. Like, like again, the the amount of inventory theaters are building up or studios are building up is huge. And at some point, there's going to be Spider-Man: Home Away from Home that you, Sean Chapman, and I know, will go see in a theater when it's out. Yes. You know, um, in part because we do this podcast, but also you would see it anyway. And so, like, that's the thing is that if the movies are there, people will go to them. And I do think, I think if there is a time when it is safe for theaters to open and you have in a month or two, Black Widow and Fast and Furious 9 and a new James Bond and a new Pixar and a new Disney and blah, 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 people will go back to the theaters. That is like, it will be one, I think there will be a lot of people who do miss it, and even if you don't miss it, that's the way you're going to be able to go see you know, Black Widow or something, and you'll want to go see it. Um, Long term, I, I honestly think the bigger thing is I do wonder if, if the studios are going to need to rethink the tentpole thing because... Boy it's it's really shown that like if you put all your eggs in that basket you're really hurting and so like Disney is losing billions of dollars Mm -hmm. but if you're like a mid-level distributor like like neon or Annapurna or someone like and you're able to like adjust and do your stuff on VOD and still make the money and get the attention I think you're kind of okay you know because you were making those mid-level things and you don't need to make a billion to make a profit Um, and I think I, I would imagine studios would want to invest more in that, like, okay, what's something we can make for 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, um, whether that's for TV or for theaters, but it'll also have a VOD component, like, I do wonder if this will bring back the mid-tier movie that, like, TV has completely eaten that space, um, but I don't know, like Netflix has been big in that space. Hulu has been big in that space. We'll see if studios get back into it. I, 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 I feel like it would behoove them to, but, you know, I'm not in charge.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the thing we talk about with movies and with video games of that, like, diversifying your offering and having low-risk, low-reward products is just, like, basic economic sense. Um, and it's like, it just feels like, you know, the capitalism... Um, which is not a sound economic policy is driven so much towards getting the greatest amount of profit in the shortest amount of time possible which also then means that when you have a crisis situation like this um, or even it doesn't have to be a a ridiculous crisis it can just be your product fucked up and it wasn't good and so nobody bought it and so if you have that like high potential high investment but if you don't get that investment or you don't get the return from that investment um, you are completely fucked because you don't have any other revenue stream to fall back on. That's where a lot of these huge companies are. Um,
0: and es- especially yeah. Disney. Because um, mm-hmm. like Disney just has completely put their eggs in that basket. They have nothing that can safely make money in the pandemic. Because it's theme parks and giant billion dollar movies None of that can make money. Their big thing luckily they have is Disney Plus, but Disney Plus has had a very slow year in part because a lot of the Marvel series they were working on got shut down. Um now WandaVision is going to be the first one. That was supposed to be the second one and tie into the new Thor and like that's all weirdly like chopped up now. Um, but like um, so like The Mandalorian season 2 they're going to have, which we're excited for, and they're going to have and they had Hamilton over the summer. But like those have been the two big things for Disney Plus and I feel like if they were a couple years down the road and Disney Plus were more mature then Disney wouldn't be in as much trouble as they are in right now. But they're bleeding money. They're not going to go out of business. They're Disney. But you know. But nobody
1: at Disney is going to be happy that they're bleeding money.
0: No. Um, All right. You want to move on to some really fucking weird Spider-Man news?
1: Yeah. Let's talk about uh, this because I don't even understand what this is, Jonathan.
0: So, honestly, all the Spider-Man news today is really fucking weird, but this is the weirder one. Um, so this was reported this week in the Hollywood Reporter, um, and, like, from the studio. This is not, like, a rumor. Um, Jamie Foxx is in talks to return as Electro in Spider-Man Home is Where the Heart Is. That's not the actual title, but it'll be something like that. The The third Spider- the new Spider-Man 3. Um, he will be reprising with a question mark his role from The Amazing Spider-Man 2 um there's no indication that this is like an alt-universe thing where like he's going to come in through a portal out of the world with Andrew Garfield I think it's more just Jamie Foxx will play Electro but obviously it would be a different character than he played in Amazing Spider-Man 2 but still called Electro but this is weird like it, it clearly follows in some sense on the heels of J.K. Simmons coming back as J. Jonah Jameson but the difference is like J.K. Simmons is just J. Jonah Jameson and he's so synonymous with that that the Amazing Spider-Man didn't even dare recast the role because they knew no one else could do it you know yeah uh, anyone could play Electro that's not the problem. My guess is They wanted to use I I don't know I'm actually I'm with you Sean I'm confused Because like I guess the easiest way To think about it Is they wanted to use Electro And they thought Jamie Foxx Maybe should get a second At bat Because Amazing Spider-Man 2 Was so bad And if you can have Jamie Foxx in your movie That is a net positive For your movie Because he's a good actor And he's a star But like It is weird It is It's it's weird Yeah I don't know what else to say
1: I think the big question here is that is he reprising the role right like what is this going to be the same or a similar version of electro like is electro going to be the main villain of the movie um which like is possible but i would be pretty disappointed if they went for electro who is like among the lamer of the spider-man villains there are lots of lots of way better villains i mean electro isn't if you're going to bring back a villain from the amazing spider-man series The lizard from the first Amazing Spider-Man is a decent version of that character. Like, I like Jamie Foxx, but his version of Electro sucks in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Everything sucks in that movie. It's not his fault. Um, But it's, like, not a good version of that character um, that I have no interest in seeing that interpretation again. But I don't know if it is that interpretation again. I I would be fine with them casting Jamie Foxx to play Electro again if it's a different take on the character that they're doing a whole new thing with it. Because I like Jamie Foxx. But any any time you say this thing from Amazing Spider-Man Two is coming back, that that gives me fucking goosebumps. Like I'm not, like, please no. That movie is fucking terrible. Every part of that movie is terrible. Other than the Spider-Man costume was the only good thing in it. So,
0: what the fuck is like? What is this news? It's this news is so confusing to me. It is really confusing. Yeah, because I would I would agree. One, because I want what you suggested of Craven the Hunter played by Hugh Jackman as our villain in Spider-Man 3. Mm-hmm. But if we're not getting that, like, I don't know. I Here's the thing. I'll put it this way. There are two producers on the, the Spider-Man Home is Where the Heart is series. You have Kevin Feige at Marvel, who on the Marvel movies is the sole lead producer. But on these, he co-produces with Amy Pascal, who is the producer from Sony. And my mm-hmm. question is, is this Kevin Feige loves electro and has a, a take on it that he wants in the movie and they thought jamie fox would work in which case kevin feige's instincts on that have been pretty good over the years you know um yeah or is this is this like amy pascal and the sony people have a weird like soft spot for amazing spider-man 2 and like thought it was kind of brilliant and underrated and they want to bring back jamie fox as the weird like tourette's syndrome version of electro that no one liked like because i yeah i i think it's been a little like memory hold how bad amazing spider-man 2 is because it came out in a like pre-zack snyder batman v superman world and that has so consumed what a bad superhero movie is amazing spider-man 2 is one of the most holistically terrible movies i've ever seen i like like it didn't make me as viscerally angry as batman versus superman i think it's an even more inept piece of filmmaking Mm -hmm. by far like like the the only thing that would come close to it is suicide squad um but, like, I like Spider-Man more than Suicide Squad, so it definitely made me angrier than Suicide Squad. Um, but, like, it is really bad. Jamie Foxx is a good actor, but he's very bad in that movie. Uh, everyone is. There's no good performance in that movie, and it's a directing and scripting problem, but, like, it's a bad take on the character. The Electro makeup and effects are bad in that movie. Like, mm-hmm. everything in about that is just did not work and does not convince me that, like, Electro is a thing. But I don't know. I mean, these the new Spider-Man movies have been pretty good so far. You know Mysterio did not sound like The best idea until like you saw that They were doing the full fishbowl thing and then they did A great job with it so who knows But it is such a Weird instinct you know like It's not as weird as if they had said Dane DeHaan is coming back as Green Goblin I would have (laughs) just I would have Like been like okay the simulation is breaking Down I'm gonna go take A pill and die because this is not the Real world but um it's Still bizarre
1: yeah like my hope is is that we're still getting Hugh Jackman playing Craven the Hunter which you know to be very clear that was only like my fantasy there's no there's no like hint or anything that that's a, it's something that's happening no. that would just be the right thing to do um morally and financially and artistically speaking it would be the right thing to do um so i hope they're still doing that and that this is just like a weird hint at like a multiverse thing where like a portal opens up to amazing spider-man 2 and Tom Holland, like, looks through that portal and goes, fuck that shit. And then, like, shuts the portal down and is like, thank God that's not this me. I'm glad I'm not in that world fighting that dude. I'd much rather hang out with Hugh Jackman playing Craven the Hunter than anything to do with all the bullshit happening over there.
0: Yeah, the only way I can make sense of it is if it were a cameo. Like, either your multiverse thing or, like, there's a montage early on of Spider-Man fighting villains in the time between 2 and 3 and one mm-hmm. of them is Electro. But either way, you wouldn't announce Jamie Fox casting for that. You would yeah. just do it, and you would keep it a surprise, like they did with J.K. Simmons. Um, so who knows? I'm now. You know, I'm. I was already curious for this movie. It's gearing up to shoot later this year. So yeah, I mean, they're making it. It's coming. It's John Watts again. It's. It's all going smoothly. But we'll see. Uh, it could be a weird one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I. I wish that they had. Provided some context context when they announced that. Like, that's all I would want. I just want to know, because it's very weird.
0: Right. Um, Okay, so moving from weird spider-man news to weird spider-man news spider-man remastered got a full like unveiling this week this is the ps5 version of spider-man the insomniac game on ps4 that you have to buy separately you are not getting it upgraded you have to buy it with the miles morales game the ultimate edition of it for ps5 yeah and they they unveiled a bunch of details about it all of which looked pretty cool I mean like the ray tracing stuff and like the new reflections they're able to do all of that looks really neat it's got a 60 fps mode just like miles Morales um all good news the weird part is we knew they were upgrading Peter Parker's character like model but they didn't just upgrade it they have replaced it they have recast the visual design of Peter Parker so the actor Yuri Lowenthal it's still him as Peter Parker and Spider-Man um but when Spider-Man is out of the costume which to be fair he's in the costume for most of the game but in cutscenes where he's like got the mask off they had one actor playing peter in the original version of this game and they have a new actor mo-capping him now and it is a complete like top to bottom redesign he looks very different and i will say i thought i saw the picture comparison and i said that looks bad and i don't like it and then i watched the and usually when that happens and there's a video you watch the video and then you feel better about it because it's more context and then i watched the video and went what the goddamn fuck is going on this dude looks five years younger than Peter Parker is supposed to look because this is supposed to be a mid-twenties, like, post-college Peter. And now it looks like a 16-year-old Peter who notably looks a lot like Tom Holland. Like, it is unmistakable. He looks like store brand, like Sears brand Tom Holland. um, And he looks really weirdly young. And I don't get it and I don't like it, Sean. I don't like it.
1: I don't really mind it that much. Um, like, it was definitely. I think it's that thing of where, like, my initial reaction was like, what the fuck? Um, mostly because you just got so used to that character because you played a whole 20 hour game and then for me, all the DLC with it. Um, but, like, but now that, like, I've, you know, sat with it for like a week and I look at that picture, I'm like, that seems fine. Um, there are so. Because there's like a lot of stuff around this, Of it is not. Because what they've done is they're not like changing who is mo capping the character and who's performing it in that sense. It's just the physical appearance of the character. That is, so right. it's just a physical model. Like both the guy who was the model for the original Peter Parker and then now this new one, they're both like literally like underwear models and stuff like that. Um, and their their official explanation for this, um, and we can talk about how much we believe this, I'm kind of leaning towards it's probably like a little bit of they want it to look like Tom Holland. Um, and a little bit of like this is an accurate thing that's happening technically um, is that with the more high resolution character models and this is obviously a choice that was made for they're making a Spider-Man 2 right so this is not a thing where they said we're going to do Spider-Man remastered and specifically for Spider-Man remastered we're going to recast the character they're obviously doing work on Spider-Man 2 and said like with these high resolution, high resolution character models and like new tech that they're doing with mocapping and facial performance, the original model, like the physical model of the character, his facial structure is too dissimilar from Yuri Lowenthal. That is his additional work to try to match Yuri Lowenthal's facial performance, because Yuri Lowenthal's facial performance and when he's like reading the lines is used for the character. Um, matching that was more work. And so they wanted to find someone whose facial structure more closely matched Yuri Lowenthal. So I suspect that that is probably something that's fairly accurate. Like there have been multiple Insomniac employees that have come out saying like, no, this is straight up what it is. Um, My guess is probably they knew or they realized, hey, we're going to want to recast this for like technical reasons, just to make it easier for us to do like all the cutscenes and everything with this character in the new game. If we're going to recast it, what are we going to do? And then probably they either decided internally or something came down that they wanted the character then to match more closely what the character looks like in the movies with Tom Holland. That is my guess of what has happened here.
0: So I agree with all that. And I also want to say you explained that so much better than any of Insomniac's actual statements, which I thought were like poorly worded at communicating the technical nature of this. Um, Because yeah, with the way you say that, like, like that Yuri Lowenthal's like, He's doing the mocap but it's a different Model and so the structure that makes more sense but they Were I don't know there's like I'm not saying they were even Cagey I just don't think they were great at communicating This complex technical idea Because um, that's not they are game Designers their job is not communication mm-hmm. um, But like So I, I see that And and that and I, but I Basically agree I, I think I lean a little more Towards it reeks of like studio Interference <laughs> of the I believe That they knew they needed to recast it And I just have to like in my mind the scene is they were talking about it and a Sony exec walked into the room and said hey did I hear recast or like not a Sony exec actually I think it was I think it's a Marvel exec because it is so similar to the game plan for the Avengers game yeah that by Crystal Dynamics where like the Crystal Dynamics game is everyone in that except Kamala Khan who is not in the movies yet is made to look as close to the movie character as they can without having to then go hire that movie actor who would cost millions of dollars. So like Tony Stark looks like cheap Sears brand, Robert Downey Jr. Because if you actually did it off Robert Downey Jr., you would have to pay him $40 million or something, you know? Yeah. And, and Tom Holland would not command $40 million, but he would command millions. And, um, it feels like the same thing. And so I feel like this was like, they said that, and then Marvel got a whiff of it and said, eh, make him look like Tom Holland. And I feel like someone at Insomniac then raised their hand and said, but our character's older and shouldn't look like that. And that's dumb. And by the time they said that the Marvel exec had walked out of the room and and went to like and was like lighting a cigarette with a hundred dollar bill because that's the kind of money they have. And um, it just is weird to me. Like it, I, I cannot get over that like the character just looks too young for the voice, for the period of life. Like... People have done this side-by-sides with, like, new Peter and existing Miles Morales, and it is weird that Miles looks older than Peter now. Like, Peter is too baby-faced, I think. Um, So, yeah, I just... And part of what made Spider-Man by Insomniac so special is that this was such a distinct version of Peter Parker than what we have in the current movies, and it is such a weird instinct to make it closer to that. I just... It's not. It's not going to ruin the game. It's not going to ruin the sequel. Most of the time, you're not looking at his weird baby face. You're looking at him in the Spidey suit. I still think it's weird.
1: Yeah, like I would say that. I think it's like way too early to like make that kind of judgment of it yet. Just because I think there's because they the only thing we've seen is like that like 50 second clip or whatever of a scene that is a weird scene to show for your like. And this is the new Peter Parker model because it's mostly a Doctor Octopus scene. Like it's all about yeah. Doc Ock in that sequence and it's like the lighting is really dark because it's in the lab and they've turned all the lights off and it's about Doc Ock like unveiling the arms or whatever near the beginning of that game. Like if I were to show off this model like what well, I want to see a scene of him and like MJ together in the apartment or in like the restaurant where it's like nice clear lighting Um, that it's like very natural like neutral kind of framing. It's not a very dramatic scene in that sense. It's just these two characters talking. That's what I want to see because that's where you get the performance for Yuri Lowenthal because it's still the same performance, right? It's like literally the same line readings. It's presumably the same mocap data that they have from when they made that game that they're then matching onto this um, different physical model. And so like I suspect that probably once you've played a couple of hours of the game and like spent time with this new model, like actually in the context, I suspect that will be totally fine. I suspect in some ways it will be worse. Because it does look younger, I think also like the appearance of it looking younger is probably going to melt away once you have it associated with the performance that Yuri Lowenthal gives, which is a of like an That's older, fair. more weary yeah. Peter Parker. Like I just think it's like I wish that they had given more material for it, just because then I think it would give us a better sense of how it is going to work with the the character and match the performance. But I I guess I like the my instinct is to trust Insomniac because they are so good with this stuff. Um, that I think once you actually play the game, I think, like, it will be totally fine. I think you'll, like, forget that it is yeah. a different model and that kind of stuff.
0: I think you're probably right. And it's it's an incentive to play Remastered before 2 to, like, get used to the character again. Because this is, I mean, this is jarring. I, I cannot think of an analog for a character model shifting this dramatically between games. Like... The closest thing would be something like Lara Croft between Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider Remastered, but it's still very clearly the same character. It's just, you know, Tress Um, <laughs> if anyone remembers that. But, like, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I'll say, overall, I am kind of excited to play the remastered yeah. version of this game. Are you?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, because it is the thing where they had said a lot of, like, the technical stuff that they were doing and it sounded like a big change, but actually seeing it in motion with, like, 60 frames per second seeing the um ray tracing stuff um like it looks like they're doing a substantial amount of work to the game and they're putting like new costumes and stuff in it um but yeah Yeah. i'm yeah i'm specifically really excited to play the game at 60 frames per second i'll probably because it is like it's like a 4k 30 ray tracing all the bells and whistles mode and then i think it's like upscaled 4k no ray tracing in 60 frames per second and i'll probably mess around with the ray tracing stuff and be like this looks nice and then i'll play it on 60 frames per second and be like I feel like that combat in the web swinging is going to feel really, really good at a high frame rate.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I like that we're getting more like PC style graphic options in games now. Yeah. It's cool. We should do more. We don't ever need the full PC breakdown because that's crazy, but like more of that is always welcome. And it uh, sounds like the new consoles can accommodate that. And yeah, I'm not crazy about them charging you for the remastered version because I would love it if it were just standardized as like if you own it, you own it. But it's only 20 bucks with the miles morales thing and compared to last gen when remastered games just came out for like 40 or frankly more often a full 60 this is still better
1: yeah and you can still like if you don't want to pay money for the remastered version you could still just play the ps4 version backwards compatible the right.
0: ps5 yeah and hey i i platinumed that game once i will platinum it again yes. it was a fun game
1: yeah and specifically the one i'm excited for it because they like a couple of months after spider-man came out they released like a like even harder difficulty mode called ultimate that i played a little bit on but it was so soon after the game i didn't want to replay it all the way through again so i'm like also additionally excited that it's like I finally have like a good excuse to go back and play the game on like the new difficulty mode they put in
0: yeah so lots of spider-man goodness coming this year and it'll be you know we're going to have the ps5 is having a really good like launch month but then we're going to go into a little bit of a fallow period and it'll be nice to have that sitting there to like play with the power of the new system you know yeah
1: honestly playing a lot of genshin impact over the past two days like i'm just excited to play that game on a ps5 because it is that thing of when you see like as the series x had like one of its big like hands-on rollouts um last week and you, they showed off like how fast the loading is on backwards compatibility. It's just like yeah. fucking Genshin Impact's load times are so long in a very Breath of the Wild way because you go into these like trial areas that it loads into those really fast because it's this little area and then you finish it and then you load back into the open world and so it's like when you load back into the open world it's like a minute long load. So it's like just knowing that we're going to get this SSD fast loading stuff makes loading time so much more noticeable to me now. Um, and I've, and yes. also, you know, with the other last major game I played being Ghost of Tsushima... I feel like my tolerance for load times is so much lower than it has been for like the past five years.
0: That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Final piece of video game news this week is they announced the new character coming to super smash brothers. It is Steve from Minecraft and also Alex, which is the girl version. Um, If you, if you don't know that much about Minecraft, Steve is like the, the name for like the main default player character. And then Alex is the, the, the girl alternate um, and there will be three costumes for Steve three for Alex and then the two remaining ones is you can play as the zombie or the Enderman which I think is a particularly creative little flourish they Mm -hmm. added there Um, and I gotta say you know like if you if you gave me like my wish list of like the 10 characters I most want in Smash Minecraft would not be on there but it looks really cool, and I'm really excited to play. It comes out October 13th. The map looks really cool. There there was this week also Sakurai, um, after that, did like a 45-minute thing where he went through the character. I didn't watch all of it, but I watched enough of it to see, like, there's actually quite a bit of depth to Steve. He's a little bit like... Um, uh what's the uh, byleth from Fire Emblem and that he's got three different weapons depending on what kind of inputs you're doing um the weapons can like level up over time as you're playing because they can go from like wood to diamond like in Minecraft um and it's just it's another one where like Sakurai and team have so nailed the aesthetic of the game and like mi- put it in Smash Bros that I'm really excited to see it in person and this is also one. And Sean, you and I went back and forth on this on Twitter a little bit this week, where I am baffled by the backlash to this.
1: Yeah. So because it was, uh, this is one of those things where now that my like schedule at school means that I am like completely removed from the world from like the hours of like seven to noon. There's just no break in which I can like do anything and just like briefly see is anything happening in the world. Um. So I tend to miss and like only pick up the like. After Effects of when some like dumb controversy has happened in the video game space Um, So it was just me like because I had totally forgotten that they were even announcing the new Smash Brothers character And so I was like scrolling through Twitter during lunch just being like oh, I wonder if anything happened and just seeing all these people Mad about Minecraft. I'm like what the fuck is happening and then uh, Slowly, you know putting the pieces together as we do in the world of Twitter um, realizing oh, okay, so Steve was the new character And my immediate thought was like, but that's a rad choice. Like that's a cool, that's a cool character to put into your game. That one offers like a lot of like clear, interesting gameplay opportunities Two is like, it's the main representative character of the biggest video game in the world that has been like the, or one of the biggest video games in the world for 10 fucking years. It's been 10 years. Minecraft is not new. Minecraft is for old people and for kids now because it's 10 fucking years old. Um, and I I like it when Smash Brothers, even as someone who doesn't really play the game but likes watching the videos and kind of following it from a distance, I like when Smash Brothers puts something big new into the game, right? Something like when they put Terry in, uh, from Fatal Frame or not Fatal Frame, Fatal Fury. Um, they should put Fatal Frame in. That's you know on on Nintendo <laughs> consoles also. But when they put Terry Bogard from Fatal Fury into the game, like that was awesome because it's like there's this really cool piece of video game history and of the video game world and community that now gets to be represented in smash brothers alongside pac-man and Mega Man and sonic and cloud and uh bayonetta all the other like weird third-party picks banjo that they have in that game now um and it is a thousand times more interesting to me a thousand times more interesting to me than another fire emblem dude and of character from arms which were the last two dlc characters which you know i'm sure this characters probably play fine but as someone who's just interested in like ...cool new things getting put into Smash Brothers. you could not have picked two more boring choices for DLC... ...than a Fire Emblem character and an ARMS character. Getting the dude from Minecraft, that's fucking dope. And all the old crusty motherfuckers on the internet that are like... ...How dare they put the Minecraft in my Smash Brothers game? How dare someone else's nostalgia be represented in this video game that has Mario... ...and Link, and Donkey Kong, and fucking Star Fox, and all the characters that I liked when I was a kid... How, like, you know, how dare they do this? It was the most ridiculous fucking internet rage outrage I've seen since they replaced the character model for Spider-Man in the Spider-Man video game.
0: <laughs> That's a good point, Sean. Um, but, yes, I, I agree. I mean, it's Minecraft, guys. Like, what is a more fitting third party to put in Smash? Okay, it would have been Banjo-Kazooie, but they did Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. So, like, if you're talking about, like, third parties that should be in Smash... Of course it's Minecraft because for one Minecraft has been big on Nintendo consoles for a long time now it didn't start there but it's been there since the Wii U I think is where Minecraft first came to Nintendo but it was on the Wii U the 3DS and the Switch it's big on Switch it's big wherever it is it is the biggest selling game in the history of the medium. Everybody has some level of affection for Minecraft. I don't care who you are, like, you know, you've you've seen it, you would like I don't think I don't know how you can like look at Minecraft and like hate it. You don't have to love it. Like Sean, you don't play Minecraft actively, but I don't think you go around going, fucking Minecraft making money. Minecraft is cool. (laughs) Like I've you know,
1: I've over the course of the years probably put like ten something hours into Minecraft, but I've watched a lot of Minecraft on the internet because it is a really cool platform for people to do cool stuff. Because Minecraft is a cool game.
0: Yes. It's a cool game it's a cool aesthetic that's very different for smash and just if it it's it's like it makes like super this is super smash brothers ultimate you know and i think the continuing project to make it ultimate by adding in stuff like this is what makes it special and it's like that first dlc pack just nailed it with like you had terry Bogard, you had joker from smash you had the dragon quest hero and you had banjo kazooie were the four and then you had the fire emblem guy And, and they were all great fighters, but those first four were like really cool in like bringing in important franchises into the game. And, uh, and then this, this DLC pack started with Min Min from ARMS. It's fine, whatever, but ARMS is not a big deal. But like, this is the kind of thing that I feel like you want from these big DLCs. And I hope we get more of this kind of thing to make Smash Bros feel like, like Smash Bros should be the biggest tent possible. And if you're going to throw a video game party and you don't invite Minecraft, I think you're doing it wrong. (laughs) You know? Exactly. It's
1: it's just... Because then, you know, you then look at what are, like, the characters that those people then want in Smash Brothers. And, in in, like, one that I saw a lot of that is just hilarious to me is Jinno from... Who's one of the party members from Super Mario RPG. It's like... Oh, yeah. That's been what the fuck dude they're not gonna you know maybe they would one day but if that's really like where your heart is and you're going to be upset if it's any character other than jenna that they put in smash brothers you're going to be upset a lot because chances are they're not going to pull out a character who's been in one nintendo video game uh one time 20 years ago 20 plus years ago
0: yeah, they that was they've people have been asking for that since Brawl, I feel like. That's been one that people are so fucking annoyed basically since the internet was a place where people talked about Smash, you know?
1: Yeah, like so. I would they you know, if they're gonna do a Mario RPG character, they should just put Paper Mario as a character in the game. Yes. Like I would put Paper Mario into the game a thousand years before I'd go to Jenna.
0: Put Paper Mario in and then you could do a bunch of his like sidekicks could exactly. come in and do stuff too. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Um all right. But Sean, really why I wanted to bring this up is because would you like to do a dramatic reading for us?
1: Yeah, I saw you you said this on Twitter, so I was like, okay, it looks like we're doing this again.
0: So, Masahiro Sakurai, who is such a sweet man. Uh-huh. You know, he announced the character and then he had a little 3-minute speech about it. And I think the best way to imagine this speech when you look at just the words is like a Japanese businessman in a nice suit at the end of a day At a sake bar in you know Tokyo or something kind of hunched Over smoking his seventh cigarette of The night on the second carafe of Sake drunkenly Complaining to his co-workers That's what this speech sounds like So Sean um I've The end of it that I've highlighted in red you don't Have to read that but if you would read everything up to Then um especially if you take It like just as the words themselves This is so funny to me
1: Okay So What did you think? What exactly did we just watch? Yes, that's right. Minecraft. The best-selling game in the world is coming to the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate game. Even I didn't think this day would come. And thinking about new fighters for this game, we don't just play favorites or pick from a hat. More often than not, these discussions start by Nintendo approaching me with an idea. Of course, if I can't do that idea justice, I'll tell them no. But then someone from Nintendo will come to my workplace and say, Mr. Sakurai, surely you can put Minecraft in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate while peering over their glasses. They make it sound easy. I guess they think this all happens by magic or something? Don't they know what kind of game Minecraft is? The wizardry required to make it work in this game? It's impossible! So I laid it out straight for them. I said, yes, I can do it. The plan for the fighter is easy to create. The graphics should also be straightforward, the motion is relatively simple, and the sound is comparable to other fighters. There are plenty of things to consider, but we don't need to implement any voices. What is difficult, however, is the programming work required to bring the character to life. It is a massive challenge. Plus if we have to work all our, rework all our existing stages so that blocks can be placed in them, what about biomes? We also need to consider things like those. And most importantly, how do we adjust the game balance to accommodate the new fighter? Who knows what will happen? Making everything work well together in the game, including the fighter's physical attacks and their short reach, will be extremely hard. They would end up being a really unusual fighter.
0: Despite all that, it looks like we're somehow going to be able to release the fighter. Thank you, Sean. I think you nailed it. Um, If you have not seen that video yet, it is... I love that like Sakurai clearly has a great sense of humor but I also sense that he is slowly losing his grasp on reality
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think I don't you know I think the being isolated because of covert has probably not helped his just like in the whole working on smash brother syndrome that he's had for uh unfortunately his entire life it seems
0: yeah uh but it's great okay one last piece of news and this is a I'm gonna get angry piece of news Sean okay
1: yeah this is a one worth getting angry about
0: so, okay, so this, this, uh, we already, we've talked many times about J.K. Rowling being a transphobe, and, and we talked about the Harry Potter game when it was announced at the PS5 event, but, and I was content to leave it at that, but then this week, Jason Schreier broke the news on Twitter that during, quote, during a company Q&A, Warner Bros. Games president David Haddad addressed employees' questions surrounding the recent announcement of Hogwarts Legacy and Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling's anti-trans comments. His comments um, were sent to Jason Schreier and quote David Haddad. Not a lot I can comment on, other than since we did get so many questions, I wanted to be responsive. The way I think I'd like to do it is I'd like to echo something you've heard from our most senior executive leadership. While J.K. Rowling is the creator of Harry Potter and we are bringing that game to life, in many places she's a private citizen also, and that means she's entitled to express her personal opinion on social media. I may not agree with her, and I might not agree with her stance on a range of topics, but I can agree that she has the right to hold her opinions. And talk about missing, yeah, the forest for the transphobe, because that's not the fucking point, Mr. Haddad, Mr. Warner Brothers. That's not the point. No one's asking, does J.K. Rowling have free speech rights? No, fuck you. Of course. like I hate. I hate the way people make these kind of things, like where someone can say something objectively awful. And then awful people turn it into, you're trying to cancel them and you're trying to get rid of their free speech. No, they can... J.K. Rowling, everyone in this debate will agree. She is entitled to say whatever she wants. That is true. But we are also entitled to find it disgusting and to say it is disgusting and to ask of the company that is profiting off her work and identity that they condemn those words and say that they support... The people that J.K. Rowling is not just harassing, but threatening with her harassment. What that statement needed was, I find, was J.K. Rowling is entitled to her opinion, but I find those words abhorrent. Warner Brothers does not agree, and trans and LGBTQ people of all shapes and sizes are welcome at our company, in our game, and playing our game. It is not hard to make the the, the equality statement where you condemn the words. You don't even have to condemn the person if you don't want. But you condemn the words. And you say we welcome people of all shapes and sizes here. I don't. It would be disingenuous probably coming from these people. But it, you can at least fucking say it. And you know last time we talked about the Harry Potter game Sean. I said you know I, I I don't think you need to boycott it. Like if you if you want to that's fine. If not I don't think it has a huge impact. And you don't need to feel bad about it. Blah blah blah. I will just say for me now looking at that. There is no way I would touch this with a 10-foot fucking pull if the people releasing the game can't even do the baseline smallest amount of courtesy of saying we think trans people are people when talking about this.
1: Yeah, It's particularly galling because I feel like we are in an era and we have been for the past few years where it's been pretty normal for companies to make that kind of statement in response to situations like this one like this isn't the first time awful fucking disgusting people have been attached to profitable um ip that other companies want to exploit right for their money uh so you have like playbooks that you can go by for exactly that kind of statement you just said jonathan um that is not necessarily like the best thing in the world and you'd want a company like wb to do more here but the least you can do is to emphatically say what she's saying does not represent the beliefs of WB of the people making the game of like the community that we want to build around this game. Um, and that we, we defend the rights and personhood of trans people in any context, right? Like it's a very simple statement to make that it's not as if it would be revolutionary for WB to say it here. It would be like the bare minimum for them to say it. And so to come out with this, like what honestly feels like this, like Bush era motherfucking bullshit with just, I may not agree with her and I might not agree with her stance on a range of topics. Like he's not even saying that he doesn't agree with her. He's saying he might not, right? He's not even say like, he, he's not saying anything here. He's just saying like, Oh, she said some stuff. The things she said are things, the things she said are not things that I have said, but they are things that she has said anyways. Thank you. And that's all that that statement is the saying in terms of it's like grammar and meaning. It is the most toothless, nothing fucking bullshit um, and it is truly
0: infuriating So like fuck and, this dude. And it is, it is infuriating in like corporate mainstream culture What we still think is like open to debate And is just yeah. a matter of opinion Versus like you know if J.K. Rowling had gone on Twitter and said I love black people I just don't think we should have interracial marriage That would be roughly as bad as what she said about trans people Like yeah. in that context But, like, no one would be saying, oh, she has the right to her opinion, it's okay. Everyone would be going, what the goddamn fuck are you talking about? That is insane racism, right? Yes. But, like, we've taken that and largely in polite culture, a lot of it's come back in recent years, sadly, but largely in polite culture, you know, those are things you don't say, you know? But, like, and, and even, like, things like gay marriage, you don't hear a lot of, like, Like you did in the Bush years of like, you know, I think we've all memory hold this, but George W. Bush and the entire Republican Party wanted to have a constitutional amendment barring gay marriage. And now it would be in polite society wrong to go around saying, but the Bible, blah, you know, like you'd be looked at as a loop. Family values. Right, exactly. Um, But trans people are up for the taking and you can bash them all the fuck you want on the internet. And I see, you know, fucking journalists I respect who do this and say like not they don't themselves are not anti-trans but will say the like oh it's a matter of opinion thing it's like no guys very much like not. marginal tax marginal tax rates are a matter of opinion what kind of healthcare plan you favor is a matter of opinion what you think we should do about the deficit is a matter of opinion the the humanity of other people is not in the realm of normal political debate and it shouldn't be seen as such because when you do that. You are effectively um, putting your thumb on the scale with the oppressors, not with the oppressed, you know? Yeah. And again, the the point is no one is saying that JK Rowling does not have the right to that opinion. She can think whatever the hell she wants. The point is there are consequences for what you think. And there should be.
1: Yeah, there not just be. what you think, but like what you like, it's things that she has actively done. Like saying something yeah. is an action. Like words have power and meaning, right? So it's like she can obviously like anybody can think whatever the fuck they want because nobody has any way of knowing what other people think. But if you say and do things uh, that then harm other people, which is what she has done on a massive scale because of the platform she has, like people in her orbit, which is what this guy is that works for WB, the position he's in, have a responsibility to speak out against that. Um, And yeah, it's like the way he frames this. Um, As him saying I might not agree with her uh, her stance on a range of topics, which just sort of implies that Being a transphobe is like in line with other things that are okay to be disagreeable with right Um, It's kind of what you're saying here Jonathan of like he's rhetorically positioning it in this like place where it's like well You can have all kinds of positions and opinions on um, whether or not trans people are actually people Um, and that's just sort of what he's implying with his rhetoric and it is like it's just awful um and like i'm with you jonathan that it is it's awful for the people who have made this game and all the work that they've put in but it's like when you don't even have the dude who runs the company that's releasing the game doing anything about this it is very hard to have any kind of conscience about spending money on that game
0: yeah because you know, I'm you know, it would be very easy for WB to create the permission structure for people to get this game and just issue the statement. Ask your marketing agency, ask your comms people, write it up. It's not hard to write up. Put it out. But if they're not going to do that, that means they are effectively anti-trans. I'm sorry, that's what yeah. they're being. If you're not, if you're not for it, in this case, you are against it. This is kind of an absolutist thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, all right you want to finish with some listener mail today Sean
1: yes what, what have the listeners asked of us Jonathan
0: all right I think you have most of these I've added a couple that were uh, on Twitter since you got the outline but the first couple are all on here so first off uh, most of these were from Twitter I did get one my brother Thomas texted me and he said since your most popular podcast ever is about persona 5 where the hell is your persona 5 the royal episode So this is... Thomas badgers me about this just about every week because Thomas somehow lapped us and became an even bigger Persona fan. Um, Sean, Thomas is right now on his fourth playthrough of Persona 5.
1: Has he played Persona 1 or the Persona 2s? No. Then he can get in fucking line before you say that he is a bigger (laughs) Persona fan than I am. That's all I'm going to say on that subject.
0: I'm just saying he spends a lot of his time on this. Um, Anyway... Uh, the simple answer is this year has been crazy we have been busy we want to do we will do a Persona 5 Royal playthrough and episode at some point we would like to do it kind of similar to how we did Persona 5 where we do it in chunks as we're playing but that means we need to be playing it at the same time and we need to feel like we have time for it that time has not granted itself yet uh, for me I don't think it will until the new year because we're getting new consoles in a month and I'm not playing it in the next month uh, I'm just too busy Um it will come. It will come when it comes and it'll be better for it, I guess. Yeah. And I've, I am sorry it's taken so long. I've
1: had my copy of Persona 5 Royal uh, bought and at the ready for since that game came out. Uh, I mean, I think the real reason why this didn't happen was um, your fault, Jonathan, not bringing your PlayStation 4 with you when you came here um, during the pandemic oh, yeah. stuff. Like, is that's when we would have done it. Um, but you were stuck in Colorado for months instead of like a week or whatever that you were originally going to be here before going to Iowa so that was yeah. I mean that's also why you didn't play Final Fantasy 7 Remake until like several months after it came out
0: that's true um, but that was a, still a busy month we also had Doom in there and uh, I think there yeah was it was a busy things, month but, but
1: it, it is when that would have happened um, right and because yeah. I remember distinctly it's why because we talked about it at the time it's why I didn't start playing Persona 5 Royal when I got it was because you're like oh well I don't yeah. ha- I can't play it right now so we'll just wait on that and so i and yeah. I've been waiting ever since
0: I'm sorry Sean I uh, I have it too I have my steel book It's out It's next to my Persona 5 steel book So they're right there Together uh, At this point I will be playing it On the PS5 Because yeah. I actually um, To make money For buying a PS5 I did sell my PS4 um, So I don't have My PS4 with me right now But I'll be playing it On the PS5 I gotta say Sean I gotta Someone paid me $300 for my PS4
1: There is Someone is an idiot Wow That's Yeah okay, Yeah
0: then. Yeah Um, But anyway it filled I've I've got like my my metaphorical piggy bank for my PS5 and that plus like I had an old TV and and something else uh, filled that pretty fast so luckily I I will be able to afford a PS5 but yes um, so I will be playing Persona 5 with a more comfortable controller and faster loading times Um, not not that the loading times were a problem on Persona 5 but um, yeah I mean it'll well you know we'll get there i i do feel bad i had forgotten sean the covid context um i guess we can chalk this up to one of many things that got fucked up because of covid yeah because that was a funny period in my life when i i mean just i mean i came out with like one bag of clothes and was doing like laundry twice a week too i mean it was crazy you know it was crazy yeah like Um, we've
1: got a good excuse for why it didn't happen so i I don't feel too bad about it We'll, we'll get around to it
0: yeah and I don't know why Thomas, who knows this most intimately, is the one badgering us the most about it. But oh well. Yeah.
1: I mean, he's the one anyway. who made the spreadsheet that eventually we'll have to address of like all the Persona oh, yeah. songs or whatever. Like that, that'll happen one yeah. day, I guess. Uh,
0: apparently he spent the weekend updating it um, with with all the Persona 5 royal music too. So well, anyway. He can come talk right.
1: to me once he's updated with the Persona 2 music. Uh,
0: he was doing that too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There we go. He's, no, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question Sean H on Twitter said you guys promised to watch the Assassin's Creed movie and we're still waiting that podcast would be Prometheus 2.0. I guess Sean H must be a uh, long time listener because yeah. old school because our third I think it's our third or second episode ever is when we first reviewed Prometheus because you had just seen it mm-hmm. uh, and and I had seen it and you wanted to rant about it. And we did it. We did at least like two or three podcasts on Prometheus because that movie made us so angry. Well, because
1: we, we did the stupid thing of watching like the extended director's cut or whatever it was, or whatever yes. like CD release they did. Um, I remember that and being upset with you that we did that.
0: Yeah, we did the I think it was the Blu ray had a bunch of deleted scenes that were like even more inexplicable than what's in the movie. Um, yeah, so that's funny, but I do have to correct the record here. We never promised to watch the Assassin's Creed movie. It was a stretch goal on our short-lived Patreon after episode 200. And not enough of y'all signed up for that Patreon, so we never hit the stretch goal. So we are under no legal obligation to watch the Assassin's Creed movie. I am still open to it because it might be a funny episode. You know, maybe, Sean, if we have a slow week over the holidays, I will bring the DVD with me and maybe we can do that. But um, I want to be clear, we never promised.
1: Yeah, and I I just want to say I'm very upset that this other Sean has brought this up again because I have like very strategically never mentioned <laughs> that you had said that and bought that fucking DVD and brought it with you. It was like in your bag for years it felt like it was just there. And I like very carefully never mentioned it cuz I don't I don't want to watch it. Um I think it would be particularly i don't know if it would be better or worse in this new context of where assassin's creed it feels like it's effectively a completely different franchise now yes. than it was because uh, that movie came out a little bit before assassin's creed origins which like just changed what assassin's creed is to me um so i think it would be a particular like relic not just as a movie or as a video game movie but as an assassin's creed movie i feel like that movie has been abandoned uh in th- with all the other old assassin's creed stuff in some dark dank well
0: Well, you know, Sean, um, this movie came out in December 2016. So next December will be its fifth year anniversary. Maybe that's when we do it. The five year anniversary of the much loved Assassin's Creed movie.
1: (laughs) That the joke of doing an anniversary watch (laughs) of that movie is maybe good enough that I might be on board because of how stupid and like that we would be literally the only people on the planet they're like, oh, it's the five-year anniversary of the Assassin's Creed movie. Time to d- dig in, motherfuckers.
0: Okay, Sean, you've... There you go, Sean. You have 15 months to brace yourself for the Assassin's Creed 5th anniversary episode. I think we'll be okay.
1: Maybe a 4K Blu-ray version will be out by then. We can we can pick up um, and watch it in the yes. highest quality possible.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, we've got some questions from Jay Mitchell on Twitter. He said, have either of you delved into Tokukatsu Todisatsu. or Tokusatsu at all? Sorry. Uh... Uh, specifically the big three TV shows of Super Sentai, Kamen Rider, and Ultraman. There's more than 40 years of history there. I will say, I have, on your recommendation, bought the Ultra Q Blu-ray, and with that, because they were all on sale and it was like really cheap, I also got Ultraman and Ultra 7. So I have the first three shows from that line, but I have not watched them yet. I know you watched Ultra Q and have been looking to do some Ultraman. Have you seen any of that yet? I have not watched any Ultraman yet. I have the Blu-ray for
1: Ultraman. Um, I like Tokusatsu is one of those things that I know I would really like and I'm scared to start watching it because I know what it would do, right? Because I mean for people who are not super familiar, Tokusatsu is um, like TV, basically like TV show versions of like Daikaiju or like Godzilla movie, gamma movie type stuff. Um, that's also Power Rangers would be the main cultural touchstone of Power Rangers is Super Sentai, um, localized effectively for the Western audience. Um, so I've never really watched much Super Sentai stuff outside of watching Power Rangers when I was a kid. I have watched some of the Spider-Man, which is one of the original Super Sentai shows is the Japanese Spider-Man TV show from the 60s. Um, How do I not know about this? do um, You don't know about the Spider-Man uh, no. Power Rangers show? Oh, it's fucking crazy. I don't know if I would call it a good show, um, but it is fucking nuts. He's got a robot called, like, Lepartamon or something like that that's ridiculous, and he says, like... Yeah, Leopardon, gonna, Yeah, send you to the jaws of hell. He's got, like, a crazy catchphrase that has the word hell in it. Um, yeah, and, like, a lot of tropes from Sentai started with that weird Spider-Man show. Um,
0: okay how have we not done a podcast on this This is I assume that we, you knew that it need...
1: existed I, I didn't know that this was that much of a blind, a blind spot for you
0: Oh my god Yeah no we should absolutely. I'm looking at this right now there's 41 episodes I think in time for the next Spider-Man movie We should time something where we watch enough of this series That we can talk about it
1: Okay yeah I think that's the right way to frame it Because I don't even know if I could watch the full thing Because it is uh, It's very formulaic and very cheesy um, and So it's like I think like cheese is good um it's not 40 episodes of a TV show. I don't think I can sustain that.
0: Um It's 40 episodes and a movie. So maybe we do the movie and some of the episodes, but yeah. yeah. I
1: would like to watch Kamen Rider at some point because that's very famous and it's like a huge cultural touchstone in Japan and it seems like good um in a way that is like I think a little bit beyond like the Super Sentai stuff. It seems slightly more mature is has always been my impression of Kamen Rider and there's like a billion Kamen Rider shows as well. So I would like to do some yeah. more tokusatsu stuff. I'll definitely watch Ultraman um at some point because i did like ultra q quite a bit
0: and i really want to get into ultraman stuff because i have those blu-rays and they're so cool the like steelbook sets i have for ultra q ultraman and then i know people say ultra 7 is like really good so Mm. um that's like known as kind of the adult not adult but like it's the more mature of the ultraman series um so yeah at some point um okay jay mitchell also asked what game do you want to play that has been sitting in your backlog, but you just can't seem to get to? I think Persona Five Royal is the obvious answer right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big one. I feel like I have a lot um, of yeah. like I definitely some of like the last few years of Resident Evil, I really wanted to find the time to play because I own Resident Evil Seven, I own Remake Two, um, and I really want to play those. I just need to find the time to sit down and play them. Um, that's the yeah, thing that I think mind for me,
0: yeah. Um, I've played all the Resident Evils except seven so I do want to do that I will probably do that around Halloween this year because October there are no big game releases and so when I'm done with Hades maybe I'll do seven mm-hmm. um, right before Halloween because um, I want to be ready for eight um, and then for me honestly my answer that came to mind is so last year I started playing all the Dragon Quest games in order I did one two three four and then other stuff came out and then I I did I haven't played five yet so I'm going to say Dragon Quest five. One, because that's known as like maybe the best game in the series. Um, And also it's like once I get into five, then I can keep going with the series and I want to play the rest of those. So um, I should really find the time for that because it's a big life goal for me to play all the Dragon Quest games. So yeah. All right. Um, Jay Mitchell also asked a completely random question. Grape jelly, strawberry jelly or other?
1: I'm not a big jelly guy i'm gonna say like I, I i i will go straight peanut butter sandwich over peanut butter and jelly most of the time there's something about the texture and i don't like that it's usually very cold i'm not a huge fan of
0: yeah yeah i'm not a huge J person i do like toast with jelly but i will actually say i like toast with jam i'm not a huge jelly person i do prefer jam i do prefer strawberry to grape jam i, would I think go straight, any yeah, of the if red... i had
1: to pick one of these two strawberry would be my pick
0: Yes, Um, but any kind of jam I honestly like and usually the red jam so strawberry raspberry raspberry is probably my favorite jam Um, But yeah, I uh, I will I will grape jelly is fine if I get it I actually was somewhere the other day where I got some toast and, and all they had was grape jelly and that was i'm there's better than nothing on my toast but uh, i would usually go strawberry and i would usually go jam so now you can use that in for that feels like you're trying to like figure out our our like security question for something yeah his, I don't know. his
1: next question is what your mother's maiden name is which i thought was a weird one to ask and then after that it's, yeah. it's what street did you live on when you were
0: born yes all right uh jimmy jonathan lee on twitter gave us a couple questions let's see if Some of these are actually really interesting So I don't know if we'll do all of these But we'll do some of them Um, Because this first one is a Doctor Who question We haven't talked about Doctor Who much lately Mm -hmm. Um, How do you guys feel about the RTD era He's referring to Russell T. Davis Who was the showrunner who came uh, When when Doctor Who came back And he did all the Tenant stuff And all the Chris Eccleston stuff Um, How do you feel about the RTD era of Who nowadays Especially considering the disappointment With the recent Chibnall era Are you more charitable positive on Davies as a showrunner? I don't think you and I have ever been super down on Russell T. Davies, but I will say I have viewed him more positively in recent years than I did, I think, during the Moffat years.
1: Yeah, I I would say that, yeah, I mean, in comparison, especially because it feels like Chibnall is trying to do a lot of the stuff that RTD did and it makes him look even more impressive in relationship uh, because, like the stuff that is good about the RTD era is very good. Chibnall trying to ape some of that stuff of the more kind of like human, like soap like soap opera drama kind of stuff. Uh, Chibnall's not good at that at all. Um, and so, yeah, I think like I've always really liked RTD stuff. Um, I think overall compared to Moffat, it's not as good. And we're not exactly what I'm looking for at Doctor Who all the time. And I think he had that tendency of having... Um, bad season finales most of the time which is like always kind of like the I think his season structure stuff was rough um but a lot of the individual episodes that he wrote in in his era are fantastic and midnight uh from season 4 is one of my favorite episodes of modern doctor who so he always gets two thumbs up for that one
0: he also cultivated a lot of good writers i think his stuff was better on a micro level than it was a macro level in terms yeah. of the structure um, he also cast two really phenomenal Doctors, a uh, lot of great companions. Um, it's a perfectly serviceable and sometimes more than that era of Doctor Who. There are much, much worse eras of Doctor Who, Chibnall's being the bottom of the barrel. But like, you know, I would I would say it's it's more consistent than like Fifth Doctor era. Oh, right? yeah. I
1: mean, yes, I would yeah. absolutely. I think he did, did it, it, like his era of Doctor Who was very good. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like not as good as Moffat. It's not as good as some of the best stuff from classic Doctor Who, but it's like way better than any of the John Nathan-Turner era other than like maybe the last couple of uh, the two seasons, the last two seasons with the Seventh Doctor, um, which right. are phenomenal. Is like that's where I would say like he's maybe in that area.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's it's good stuff. And um, did you see the news that Chris Eccleston is coming back to play the Doctor for a big finish? Yes, I did see that. That's wild. Yes, I, I, I it, never
1: thought he would come back to the show.
0: Well, anyway. it's been it's been a little bit of an arc for Chris Eccleston over the last couple of years. He has clearly warmed up to it more. I think he's gone through a period of self reflection. You know, he wrote that autobiography. He started going to fan conventions and seeing that people really loved his work. And I think maybe, I think maybe it just took time to get over it. You yeah. know, and and um, and I I have not followed a ton of the Big Finish stuff recently. I I might make a point to listen to that because that's he's he's so good and there is not enough of him. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely. know yeah all right um he asked a question about the simpsons which i think is probably aimed at me because you're not a big simpsons guy sean yeah um but he said how do why do you feel the simpsons should have lasted as long as it has most of the original creative team left by season nine and also i feel like futurama inherited simpsons original witty satirical edge better to burn out than fade away um i am not someone who shares the popular opinion that simpsons was only good for nine years and should have been canceled i think because one, it is actually not true that most of the original creative team left by season nine. Um, the show has been run since season 14, I think, by Al Jean. And he, Al Jean was there. He's like one of the main guys from seasons three and four, which is considered like peak Simpsons. So, And, and Matt Groening has always had a role on it, even if he's not day to day. So it's not 100% true that the original creative team are all gone. And I have seen... All of The Simpsons in the first 10 years multiple times. I know I've seen everything from seasons 11 to 20 at least once. And then seasons like 21 to 30, I know less well, but I've seen some episodes there. And I think the first 10 years are obviously the best part of The Simpsons. There are lots and lots of episodes I love between seasons 11 and 20. There are are fewer of them, but there are lots I enjoy. And when I see ones from the later days, particularly once they made the shift to HD, I think they got the visual style of the show they were able to do a lot of fun things with um Simpsons had never been like the best animated show or anything but I think they were able to do some more interesting visual gags here and there um I you know I've said this before I'll say it again there's never been a Simpsons episode I've watched and not laughed at at least once and there are sitcoms I like and have seen the full run of that I would not say that about so you know, I am fine with The Simpsons still going. I don't. I don't think it's doing any harm to the world. I don't think it's doing any harm to its own legacy. I. I, I think it's weird that people are sometimes so bothered by Simpsons still going. Like, you know, you do not have to watch all of it. But if there, you want more of it, it's there. Um, you know, it's going to have to end at some point, and I do think its end is probably pretty near at this point because. The cast is expensive. The TV model is changing. Disney owns Fox. All of that, um, but I'm I'm fine with Simpsons still going. It it at worst it delivers some half baked yucks into the world every week. I don't know.
1: Yeah, as someone who doesn't really watch Simpsons, um, I will say that like I I'm happy to have Simpsons exist in a way that like as a comparison, I really wish that South Park was not a thing anymore. I wish that they yes. canceled South Park years ago. Um, probably when they made the movie, uh, they should have stopped. Like South Park doesn't feel like Simpsons feels like a thing that is like a cultural institution that even if I don't watch it, I'm happy that it just exists out there. Um, it's very much the equivalent of like uh, Japan has a show called sazae san that has been going since like the fifties and is the longest running animated show ever. It will never be eclipsed because it has so many episodes that Wikipedia doesn't even have the number of episodes of the show on it. It's that kind of thing for me with Simpsons. And it's just like, it's just going right. And, Like, it should just keep on going forever because why not? It has that quality to it that it's not for me, uh, but I'm happy that it exists.
0: Yeah, I mean, South Park annoys me that it's still going in that South Park has a very 1990s vision of the world and a very 1990s politics where it is like right down the middle centrist, but like a belief in centrism that is also nihilistic that says that any strong belief system is wrong. So strong right, strong left, anything people believe in strongly is bad and caring about things is wrong. And I think every year South Park is on the air, it gets more and more out of anything having anything useful to say about the world in which we actually live. Um the early seasons of South Park, you know, one were just much less topical and political, so they were more fun, but like it's just a show that is like, I find its brand of, like, libertarian, anti-everything uh, so obnoxious, it it drives me insane. Uh, Family Guy is also still on the air and should be off because it is bad and racist and stupid. Um, but, yeah. Simpsons, though, Simpsons is not a show with, like, a central ideology yeah. that means that it goes out of style. There are things on The Simpsons that have gone out of style, like Apu, but, like it's not the whole design of the show that feels like this is not for the moment. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's what I mean with like South Park, that it's like, I think I, think I would be able to feel good about South Park if it was a thing that existed as an artifact of the 90s and stayed there um, because it, because some of its outlook, I mean, not some, but like all of its outlook makes sense in the cultural and political context of the 1990s. And it's like it's fine contained there um, as, a, as a piece of art. And I think I would be able to go back and watch old episodes of South Park and get something from them from that. But the fact that South Park is still going and has not evolved in a way that feels meaningful makes the whole thing feel tainted in such a way that I have no interest in watching it. Um, And this was just the thoughts I had the other day when I saw that they were doing like a big COVID-19 pandemic episode or whatever. I'm like, fuck, they're still doing it. And I wish that they wouldn't because it does feel like it has hurt for me personally, the way that that show exists at all in like our culture
0: yeah um okay Jimmy also asked about he actually also asked an Ultraman question so we we pretty much answered that um he had two anime questions and on both of these I want to say I think the questions slightly mischaracterized like our thoughts so I wanted to like uh not in a I'm not being mean or anything I just think I want to clear the clear the record up Mm-hmm. So for for one his, his one of his questions is how come both of you believe that Gohan would not work as a main protagonist after the cell arc so he's talking about Dragon Ball Z here uh, I mean I know Goku is the cultural icon but I feel Gohan has the classic superhero everyman quality sort of like Spider-Man or Common Rider I know for a fact I have never said this because I love Gohan is probably my favorite like protagonist character in DBZ I really like Gohan and I, the segment of the the post-Cell arc, like the Boo arc, where he is the, the great Saiyan man and in high school and stuff, that's like only eight episodes. It's eight of my favorite episodes of television. I love it. I would have been, there's, there's always been a part of me that wishes the Boo arc actually invested in Gohan as a hero. I think it was one of the weaknesses of that arc. The thing I like about the Buu arc is that it is completely off the walls and pulled from the id of Akira Toriyama, and is so improvisational, and I find it entertaining in that way. But no, I've 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 never thought it would like inherently Gohan couldn't have worked. I I think I think there's something to the fact that it's hard to do Dragon Ball without Goku because Goku is such a unique special character who is the engine that drives that show. But um, I do not. I I know that is a popular opinion about Gohan. I don't agree with it.
1: So I like I think if I'm to guess where this question comes from, I feel like for me there, there is a, particularly in the Western Dragon Ball fan base, there's like a really strong, like people hate the boo arc specifically because like, because there's this whole mythology that is made up that is like not accurate to the actual creation of Dragon Ball Z that Toriyama had always planned for Gohan to become the hero. And that's why he killed Goku off. And then people forced him to put Goku back in with the boost yeah. stuff. And that's not true. That is just uh, fan rumors effectively um, from the nineties in the Western Dragon Ball fan base. But though that feeling has like persisted in the Western Dragon Ball fan base in a way that like, I, I, I am very resistant to that has been pushed into Dragon Ball super and people like really hating um, where Gohan goes as a character, particularly in super of him. He's not really a fighter and all that kind of stuff. And I'm very happy having Gohan be Happy, right? Like I'm, I'm very satisfied yes. with where the character went and the character arc ultimately settling on. Gohan isn't Goku. Gohan's character is not the guy who, you know, he he has this moment of profound heroism um, that is characterized through fighting Cell. Um, but the point of Gohan and the point of what all the fighting that all the characters go through all the time is for Gohan to be able to be a scholar because that is what he's has wanted to be ever since he was a little kid. And it's creating this like world of peace that he gets to pursue that. Um, And like, I think that is where I'm guessing this comes from is I believe we talked about that in when we talked about Dragon Ball Super and being really happy that that's where they went with Gohan rather than him being a replacement Goku who just goes out and fights the villain each time.
0: Yes, I agree. Um, Like, I guess what I would say is I think in the Buark, it is like, because the Buark is all over the map, it is a little awkward how Gohan oh, yeah. is is prominent and then sidelined. Um, but I think actually this is one of the things I really value about Dragon Ball Super is I think it retroactively makes that better by having Gohan feel like he actually did a character transformation and became a person and like is his own distinct human being from Goku and has his own place in the world. And sometimes that means he's just not on the show. And sometimes that means he has a interesting, unique role as a fighter, like in the universe survival arc. But I like that they let Gohan grow up and change. And that I think it like affirms what happens with him in the Buu arc in a really interesting way. Um, And, you know, I'm not convinced Toriyama even ever planned on gone being like a main character for long because if you just look at the manga the number of chapters between goku dies and goku is talking through Uranae Baba saying i'm coming back for the tournament it's a couple of weeks yeah like in publication time like i don't think toriyama ever planned on taking goku off the map long term goku's back it's fine you know i think the boo arc is kind of like the return of the jedi of dragon ball in that it is the most inconsistent part of the series but it also has some of the absolute highest highs in all of it um vegeta's majin vegeta turn and death um the final fight with kid boo and and hercule uh, mr satan getting all of the energy together for the spirit bomb um some of the fights like it's it's an incredible stretch of the series it's also got some weird lows here and there but you know um yeah yeah, but yeah, I think we both agree that it's like I think Gohan could
1: have I think Gohan absolutely could have been the main character. Um but like I think the mythology that like that was always the plan and it would have been so much better if you'd gone that way. I think that that is like a fan theory that got built up a lot um that yes. I think is I I think is like not accurate to what the show is really doing in the Boo arc. Whether you like the Boo arc or hate it, like it was never going to be the Gohan show. That was not what the plan no. was.
0: No. No. All right, uh, this last question, we get every time we open up for questions, I get this from someone. And so I don't know if we're going to answer it anymore, but I do want to address it one more time. Uh, He says, how come you were more harsh towards the treatment of female characters, gender politics in Evangelion, but not in other works? I mean, Gundam is not exactly perfect with its female characters, even with Tomino. And he cites Recoa in Zeta and the Shrike team in Victory. And there's a lot to say here. But I will say my basic example of why are we more harsh towards Eva is the same reason why if you are a balanced journalist right now, you would be more harsh towards Donald Trump than Joe Biden. It's because one of them is worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it, you know, don't want to reiterate everything we've said in that podcast. And you're obviously free to disagree with us on this. But I think like for me, a lot of it comes down to like the basic framing by which I mean the literal like physical image framing of characters tells you so much of what you need to know in the way that eva cannot help but to repeatedly and constantly and insistently sexualize all of its female characters in any scene that they appear in which like hurts any of its ability to look at gender stuff in a critical way um and with tomino like tomino is not perfect on gender stuff he's far from that like we've talked about a lot like and i would actually say like some of these examples like of rekoa and the strike team aren't really to me what like the problems with no, I... Tomino... I think the problems with Tomino do come from a lot of like the tropes and archetypes that he f- fits female characters into repeatedly and becomes very obvious upon watching all of his stuff. And it's the like Lala Soon new type um, woman who has to die to give the um, male love interest character like his next big push in his character development. That to me like is the weakest part of Tomino's writing um, with women, and it's why like some of his later stuff, like Turn a, is so good, is I feel like he learns a lot from the mistakes he wrote, in, or he had in writing women throughout uh, his earlier stuff. Um, but even when his gender stuff isn't good in Old Gundam, the thing that we always talk about is that it feels like he is always self-critical and complicates his own ways that he's portraying things. And so that's why in like Zeta, you have a wide, massive range of different female characters um, that are unique and have different perspectives and different fates and do different things are on different sides of the conflict. Like Reco is one of like the most interesting ones um, and one of the more complex characters in that sense. And so the fact that Tomio has all these different female characters and has a huge cast of characters means that way less weight is put onto any individual character so that even if he has these tropes that I think have a lot of negative elements to them in terms of gender stereotyping that he repeats. He always will have other characters that counter that trope, like a Katejina san from Victory Gundam or something like that. That means the weight is put off of those characters, whereas with Eva, the ways that women are poorly represented is so omnipresent across every single female character that, to me, Anna doesn't get that sort of credit um, for that show.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. I would say i actually think rekoa is one of the more in a way progressive characters in gundam because it is a woman who is allowed to be evil for um complicated and inscrutable reasons i would also put katagina in that category in in something that feels like it's a breakage of a trope um and that i do not think female antagonists who start in a good place are generally depicted with that level of complexity um uh i think the shrike team i mean I'll, i'll say in our zeta discussions in our victory discussions we talk about all of this at length yeah. and i actually think what they do with the shrike team is also really interesting um the thing i have a problem with in victory is the weird bikini women in that one bad episode later in the series um but like you know in more general senses i will also say even if like he's using tropes we don't love tomino also is really good at viewing women as individual human beings in his work who have like individuality and interiority in a way I think a lot of anime and a lot of just writing by men is bad at and I think it is consistent across his stuff it's very rare that I watch a Tomino show and feel like this female character is underbaked in a way that feels sexist to me whereas like you know I just do think Eva has it it's so constantly undercuts its own ability to build interesting characters out of its women because they are either it is just constant fan service Or it is blatant violent misogyny as an end of Evangelion. There's no other word for it. That does not mean I think Hideaki Anno as a person hates women. I think his work, though, gets into, in that film, a dark misogynistic place where brutal violence is visited upon all of them by men in a way that feels, like, biblical in its aspersions. That Um, the male characters are
1: also, like, immune to, right? Like, the way that it's presented is so different. And I think that that's another thing that Tomino... Um, not to say that it's like 100% the same, because again, I'm not saying that he's perfect on gender stuff, but I think he's way better at using the like wide cast of characters he has more um, in a more egalitarian sense than that of just like the way yes. that violence is portrayed against women. And Eva is starkly different than it is against Shinji or uh, Kaji or like the handful of male characters in that show
0: yeah very true um and you know mostly i would say i think we cover this pretty well on weekly suit gundam so yeah um that's why yep all right last last question by jimmy i will just go quickly on he asked me uh why do i why do i hate both jean-luc godard and francois Truffaut? um why 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 not give Truffaut a pass because people generally like his stuff more and i will just say quickly because i know this is not for everyone not everyone cares I think Francois Truffaut is so far up his own ass, I could never even identify his head. Um, He cites the 400 Blows here. I am one of the few people immune to the charms of the 400 Blows. I think that's about a sad French boy who does not have as much reason to be sad as he thinks he does. Um, And Truffaut's other movies drive me up a wall. Jules and Jim is so up its own ass. It is so pretentious. It is so long. It is just like... I, I'm i sorry I see a lot of Godard and Truffaut's early stuff and I see kids playing with a movie camera thinking they are men who write about movies and they I see like the dudes on Twitter who like say very declarative things about film without as much film knowledge as they think they have and I feel a lot of that in their stuff and I know I am on an absolute island in film studies on this but I, I do not hate Truffaut the way I hate Godard I just don't I'm just immune to his charms I think um i hate godard i think godard's a bad filmmaker but yeah that's that's my thoughts so a little, little spice little film studies spice there oh,
1: yeah, sean some, some hot film studies
0: drama um okay so we had a question from a guy named snakes plus plane this will not be on your outline sean uh have you have you two ever done a review or deep dive of lost i'm currently re-watching it and super curious what your takes would be and are Um, So funnily enough I got my start writing about TV with Lost um, when I had my blog on the Denver Post back in the day I blogged every episode of seasons four five and six Uh, I do not believe those are still online um, and I'm not going to share those pieces because they're from when I was like 16 and 17 and I don't like them Uh, I love Lost it was really important to me I have not rewatched it since it went off the air so it's been like 10 years now at some point I do want to watch it again I think it is a show that is in many ways from another era, um, but I still have affection for a lot of it. I'm not someone who hated the finale. I liked the finale, although I think the final season as a whole is weak. Um, but there's a lot... Like Lost is really important to me and, and to like my development and taste. Um, so it's a show that has a lot of stuff I love. Uh, I think Damon Lindelof's subsequent stuff has... has been even better and eclipsed it for me, like the leftovers especially, but also Watchmen, which just won a shit ton of Emmys deservedly. Um, so yeah, Damon Lindelof is one of my favorite people working in film or television. is is one thing I would say.
1: Yeah, for me, Lost is not like one of my favorite shows, and I never finished watching it. I watched, I think, I watched up until the last season because it was one of those classic, like, oh, this show's really popular, and I kind of waited a long time to start watching it, and then. I finally gave in It did the exact same thing with Breaking Bad and I was like, oh, I'll just start watching it now and then over the course of like a year slowly caught up. Um, then by the time I caught up, one, I stopped liking the show because I remember the last season that I watched which I'm pretty sure was the second last season. Uh, I yeah, thought, season five. Yeah, I thought the show had kind of lost itself by that point. Um, and I didn't particularly like it. Uh, I remember particularly feeling like, cause that's the one that it ends on like the cliffhanger with like a nuclear bomb that goes off or something. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: It's that's the, that's the time travel season. And then it ends with the, uh, the Jughead bomb going off. Yeah. yeah. And I just
1: remember having a very stark, like uh, jump the shark feeling at that point of like, I think the show has lost track of why it was good earlier on. Um, and then by that point, it, the final season had not start, started airing yet, and so I didn't move on to the final season. And then by the time that had finished airing, I'm like, I think I'm good. I don't actually want to watch this show. But the first few seasons of Lost, I remember really liking. Um, and I've always felt like Lost had such a great ca- like ensemble cast of characters in the early season structure of having individual episodes diving into the past of individual characters. And it was like really focused on that. Um, I always thought that that was really great and a really well, good structure for the show. And then, but everyone, it felt like in the lost community really grabbed onto the dumb mystery stuff, which I never thought was like that great. Uh, And then the show slowly got consumed by the weird esoteric sci-fi part of it and the character drama part of it slowly started to die. And then I think the great irony was that then when the last season happened, it sounded like they abandoned some of like the esoteric sci-fi shit and really grabbed back onto and let's do like the characters justice and kind of not give answers to all these dumb questions that didn't matter, but like, focus in on the characters again. And then everyone hated it because the show had changed um, or like what they were interested in was not what the show was doing anymore. And I found that weird to watch from the outside in.
0: So I actually think your diagnosis is mostly right. And I'll just say... The thing is, I actually disagree about the final season. Um, The final season is way too heavy on the esoteric mystery stuff. Like the weirdest, the weirdest complaint about Lost to me has always been it didn't answer enough questions. The worst part of the final season is how much time it spends trying to explain things that should have been left unexplained. The single worst episode of Lost Is the anti-penultimate episode Across the Sea Which is about the origin story Of Jacob and the Man in Black And it's literally 50 minutes of exposition Ticking off all the boxes of backstory About the island And about the smoke monster And about everything It is like It is like the FAQ of Lost And it is an abysmal episode of television Damon Lindelof himself Like a week after it aired Said that's my least favorite episode Like, Like there was never like Any bones about it and so I think there were a lot of people in the lost fan community who just were never going to be satisfied by any of it and I I always have thought the last season needed to do more of getting back to basics and that's I think the finale is really good I think a lot of the final season is I think it's the worst season of the show it's really rough. Um, you know, I think the first season of the show is the best. Damon Lindelof has always said that's the best season of TV he ever made. I think he has since eclipsed that, but I understand why he says that. The first season of Lost is really fucking good. Yeah. Um, I think the second season is really good. I think the third season, the first half is kind of bad, and then the second half is great. I think season four is great, and then I think season five gets kind of up its own ass with the time travel stuff. Some of that I like, some of it I don't, and then I think season six is rough. And I do think, Sean, your diagnosis about them kind of being forced down the sci-fi weird path did hurt it Um, and I think you see like the leftovers is almost a direct response to that in that the leftovers is a show about mysteries that are too big to ever be solved like it is about existential mysteries and then it just is a character piece Um, and there's a reason why
1: leftovers is only three seasons right as opposed to a six season monstrosity because lost obviously would never like what it was good at Could not be supported Over that length of time So it's like I don't even blame the show For getting bad Because I don't know How it could have Maintained the quality level Because it, it's not In well, X-Files or something like that Where it's just like An ever renewable premise It's like it had to stop
0: I mean Sean The first season of Lost Is 25 episodes yeah. Like, the first three seasons of Lost were all standard 24-episode seasons, and then they got a little shorter, but they were still like 16 to 18 episodes. Nobody makes shows that long anymore. That's part of it, is that Lost was Lost is literally from another era. Lost could not be made that way today because nobody makes shows with that many episodes in America today, especially big, dramatic episodes. Serialized stories no one does that
1: And you have now uh, identified the number One reason why I will never rewatch Lost because there's way too fucking much of it
0: Yes yeah All right. Um, and finally Finally Vang with Two G's asked what comes out First the Flash movie or the Uncharted Movie two movies in development Hell we have famously talked about many times On the show Sean and I have An answer it will be the Uncharted Movie Because, Sean, did you know the Uncharted movie is in the middle of principal photography right now as we're speaking? You're lying to me. It is directed by Ruben Fleischer, who did Zombieland and Venom. It is starring Tom Holland. There are on-set pictures of Tom Holland as Nathan Drake, little baby Nathan Drake, and Mark Wahlberg as Sully. They did it. They cast Mark Wahlberg as Sully. Antonio Banderas is the villain That's the only thing that sounds good They did briefly have to shut down Because Antonio Banderas got COVID But they are back at it They are shooting it It is a real thing The Uncharted movie will be first Because that Flash movie is still in development It is not cast It is not in front of a camera I think the Flash movie will happen They have they have gotten a writer in Christina Hodson And a director in um, uh, I forget his name the, um, uh, Andy Muschietti who did It who WB is, like, very hot on. They really like these people, um, which shows that they're serious for the first time about a Flash movie. But, uh, no, the Uncharted movie is happening, and it is seemingly happening in the absolute worst version of itself. Like, Sean, how far into development hell do you have to go? How hard do you have to lose the forest for the trees to think that the way to get people into the theater for an Uncharted movie is to do a prequel origin story young Nathan Drake movie with Mark fucking Wahlberg as Sully. You are so far off from... Like, already, Uncharted is a video game. It does not have big buy-in purchase with a movie audience. But, like, to do it one step beyond and, like, okay, you have to know what Uncharted is enough to want to go see the prequel. What the... Like, I just, it's one of the best stories I've ever seen of, like, development hell twisting in such a way that you are so far away from what you ever intended to make and it's going to please absolutely nobody. Also, again, Marky Marcus Sully, that might be the worst casting I've ever heard of.
1: I'm just going to say, Jonathan, I, you have gave some very uh, compelling reasons for your answer to this question. Um, I'm going to say that neither of these movies are going to come out. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> It's never going to happen. Um, Marky Mark isn't even a human being. I don't know who that is. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, it's just this, these aren't... Uh, cogent words are not coming out of your mouth, Jonathan. I think maybe the call's breaking up or something because it's just nonsense. Uh, neither of these movies are going to come out. They will never come out. Uh, and we just have to accept that.
0: All right, I think that's a good place to end. Thank you guys for all the listener mail. If you ever want to get in touch with us, please go ahead and touch, uh, get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Jonathan Lack. He is at Sean the Chapman because you are the chap man.
1: It is true. I am.
0: Um, yeah, just just look for the Hatsune Miku avatar. Um, you know, you can you can visit us at weeklystuffpodcast.com. Um, you know, we're going to be starting an OnlyFans soon. The OnlyFans will be Sean posting sexy Hatsune Miku pictures that he did got from the dancing game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there might be a copyright issue there, but we're going to try it, see how it goes.
1: Have I teleported to another world? Is this the world where the Uncharted movie comes out? Is this the the lost thing happening? Do I have to set off a nuclear bomb? I don't want to be in the world where the Uncharted movie comes out. I want to go back, Jonathan. I want to go back.